And now for something completely different. This is the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Let's do it. Welcome to the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. With you till 3 on this Tuesday with plenty to get to. Coming up, Kyrie Irving opts back in with Brooklyn. Plus, today's the day that the hearing begins with Deshaun Watson. Why, if you're a Panthers fan, even a Falcons fan, maybe you should be paying close attention. Plus... What would Baker Mayfield mean for the Panthers? Which divisions have the best quarterbacks in the NFL? Who are the best quarterbacks or will be in the SEC this year? Clayton Kershaw with some interesting comments about Freddie Freeman. The ACC changes their scheduling format. And a whole lot more to get to throughout the afternoon. Things are changing in college football. Which new coach will it benefit? We got plenty to do between now and three. Plenty of quarterback talk today throughout the afternoon. You can join the conversation, 843-721-9500 to give us a call. You can always text the show, 843-608-1734. Get to us on Twitter at Morrow Middays. On Facebook at ESPN Charleston. Via email, studio at kirkmanbroadcasting.com or online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Head over there and click on our show page where you can leave a comment for the show. You can find the latest versions of the show podcasted right there, or you can even take the Morrow Midday Show with you wherever you go. Just simply stream us online at charlestonsportsradio.com. With you until 3 on this Tuesday, Trent's on the Steel Wheels. Trent, what's going on? How are you? Luke, I'm doing good on this rainy day here oh. in the low country. Coming down. You know, I think we've been a little spoiled with the sunshine and the nice weather. And so now, I guess, for the rest of the week, we're going to have a lot of rain. Yeah. But, hey, it's not raining on our parade here. Luke has got a lot to talk about. Pumped about some QB talk today. Are you yeah. kidding me? That's the best ever. I'm glad to be here on a beautiful Tuesday. Yeah. It is. It's pretty nasty out there, that rain. Yeah. Now, you come from downtown. Downtown floods, you know, if somebody starts crying, so... <laughs> can only imagine what it was like uh, coming. It was flooded. Uh, I live in the other direction. It was flooded driving in. Be careful out there on the roads. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to the uh, drive back into yeah. the uh, into the island. Yeah, not looking forward to it. Yeah, it's wild out there. So be careful if you're listening as you uh, hit the roadways today, driving around for work, making deliveries, whatever it is. Be careful on the road. Uh, it's coming down in sheets. That's like movie-style rain. You ever watch a movie? Whenever it rains in movies, it's pouring, and they're running in the rain, or you're driving, and they can't see. Right? It always adds to the drama. They have to go somewhere, and, oh, no, now it's pouring, and they can't see. They're trying to get to the hospital before it's too late, and they can't see through. That's what it's like out there. It is pouring. So be careful if you're uh, driving around. 
I do agree. We've had some great weather, though, lately, so I guess uh, this is the trade-off. It's finally catching up to us. And this time of year, it gets so hot that, you know, you get the – it leads to uh, storms and rain pretty frequently. Rains every day in Florida because it's so hot and humid, similar around here this time of year. So be careful out there on the road. Nasty day. With that, let me start with this. Kyrie Irving uh, opting in to the Brooklyn Nets yesterday. And this was a situation where this story has been talked a lot over the past week. And uh, I said at the time when it started, that give it time. Now, let's wait until the deadline arrives and let's see what happens. And just yesterday in the show, I said that the Nets are the ones that seem to have the leverage. I don't know what's, what was going to come from this. Kyrie Irving decides to opt in. He'll stay with Brooklyn for at least one more year. Here was a Woj on SportsCenter explaining why. After all the talk, the drama, the rumors, teams interested in Kyrie, for the meantime, he's heading back to Brooklyn. Here's Woj explaining how it went down. Kevin, simply Kyrie Irving was not able to land either an extension with the Nets or a sign-and-trade deal elsewhere in the NBA, specifically with the Lakers, that would have allowed him to get the long-term uh, max dollars that he wanted. Uh, and so short of following through on his threat to sign the $6 million uh, mid-level exception with the Lakers, which he could have done if he opted out of his deal, he went back to Brooklyn on that 36.5 player option, really had exhausted all of his leverage, uh, and returns to Brooklyn now uh, with the possibility of free agency next summer. I don't think he had much leverage. You know, as Kyrie makes the decision to go back to Brooklyn, that was Woj breaking it down. In the report, when we got this news originally broken by Shams yesterday, uh, he quoted Kyrie Irving, who told the Athletic, so maybe the Athletic had it first because Kyrie spoke to them. But he said, um, normal people keep the world going, but those who dare to be different lead us into tomorrow. That's what Kyrie Irving said. I love Kyrie, the basketball player, but Kyrie, like the person off the floor, every time he opens his mouth, my goodness, how condescending does that sound? Normal people keep the world going, but those who dare to be different lead us into tomorrow. Yeah, it's so different to take the money, which is what Kyrie did, and is why I thought that this whole thing was being blown out of proportion to begin with. By going back to Brooklyn, Kyrie opted into his one-year deal that's worth almost $37 million. If he decided not to opt into that deal, he'd become a free agent. And the way the salary cap works, the best he could do is $6 million by signing with probably the Lakers, who seem to be the only team interested. So it's really simple. If you're Kyrie Irving, do you go back to Brooklyn and make $37 million this year? Or do you try to go somewhere else and make only $6 million? Are you willing to turn down $31 million? Kyrie has said in the past, it's not about money. It seemed to be about money. Because otherwise, you opt out and go to the Lakers. If you think that's a better fit for you, if you think you're going to be happier there, go ahead. But you'll be leaving $31 million on the table. And by the way, this is Kyrie Irving who just lost his shoe contract because he spoke out against his own shoes. Again, the person of Kyrie is very puzzling. He criticized his own shoes, so Nike said, all right, forget you. We're not making shoes with you anymore. So he lost his shoe contract. He lost money last year by not playing for almost half the season because of the COVID restrictions. Uh, now you're going to turn down after that as well, turn down $31 million? and go to the Lakers and see what happens this year before heading into free agency when, again, who knows what's going to happen? It was a clear decision. you got to go back to Brooklyn. You can't leave $31 million on the table after he's already lost quite a bit of money over the last 12 months. Even like the year prior, he just disappeared, right? went away from the team, went AWOL, like didn't get paid for two weeks. He's, he's turned down some money in recent years. He's lost money. In this case, you have to take the money. 
And the only way it would have worked otherwise was a sign-and-trade. But why would Brooklyn be willing to help him out? Especially when the Lakers would be probably the top suitor, and that would mean Brooklyn would have to take on Russell Westbrook in return. It makes no sense. I'd rather have maybe an unhappy Kyrie Irving for this year than trade for Russell Westbrook. Give me Kyrie and hope that Kevin Durant sticks around, and I imagine he will, and you move forward and hope things are better next year. The Brooklyn Nets still have the fifth-best odds to win the NBA championship next year because if you have those two guys on the roster – you at least have a chip chair and chance. Is this the end of it? Maybe not. Kyrie Irving said, I've made my decision to opt in. See you in the fall. But now that he is under contract, it does become easier to potentially move him to another team. Could he potentially make things so difficult now in the coming months that Brooklyn will say, all right, forget this. We don't want you on the team for this next year. We are going to trade you. Maybe. I know Brian Windhorst had uh, said that he doesn't think this is the end of it. We'll see. But in the meantime, leading up to this deadline, which was coming up tomorrow, about is he going to opt in, is he going to opt out, this was the only decision to make. You can't leave $31 million on the table when you just lost your shoe contract and you've lost money the last two years as well. You had to give money back for not playing. And you go from making $37 million to six. That's a big difference. Right, the higher you go, the difference is not as grand. Just like when you talk about ages for those that are dating. You know, like when you're 25 and you're dating an 18-year-old, eh, it looks a little weird. If you're 42 and you're dating like a 34-year-old, eh, not as weird. Same idea with money. If you turn down like $130 million for 100 okay, not as bad. If you turn down $37 million for $6 million, that's a pretty big difference. Kyrie made the clear decision yesterday to opt in, get his money with Brooklyn. Where else are you going to go? To the Lakers for only $6 million this year? Why leave $31 million on the table? Kyrie never had much leverage. Brooklyn wasn't going to help him out, and he wasn't going to turn down $31 million. And it's why I did not really understand the fascination of covering this story 24-7 for the last few days. Wait till the deadline comes. Let's see what he does. And what he did was opt in. And we all got worked up over nothing. Is this the end of the story? We'll see. But in the meantime, this was the only decision to make. Go back to Brooklyn, and uh, let's see if over the next 12 months everything's copacetic there. Let me shift to this. The other big story of the day is, of course, the Sean Watson and his hearing beginning today with the NFL. Now, as I said yesterday in the show, you know, for – Deshaun's defense today, I imagine it'll be a lot about a, a lot of uh, whataboutism. Right? What about Dan Snyder and this guy and that guy? But you know, growing up, that never really worked with your parents either. Right? But Johnny gets to stay up late, and what would they always say? Well, I'm not Johnny's mother, or Johnny's not my kid. If he was my kid, he wouldn't, yada, yada, yada. Right? Everybody has different rules. And just like athletes, the bigger profile you are, the more you can get away with. When you're owners of the NFL, of an NFL team, and essentially run the sport and Goodell works for you, you get away with a little bit more than if you're a player who's kind of embarrassing the league. But it's probably the best ploy for the NFL PA today to fight in Watson's defense. Saying, look at what you let these other guys, these owners, get away with. Robert Kraft, Jerry Jones, Dan Snyder. Now you're trying to drop the hammer on Deshaun. We'll see what comes from this. But I do think it's interesting that the NFL leaked what they hope the punishment will be. Right now, the decision, it's out of Roger Goodell's hands. He's not the one making the call today. They have an independent arbiter. In fact, the call probably won't come today. This may drag on still a couple more weeks, maybe days. Who knows how quickly we get an outcome. But it's not Goodell's decision, at least not yet. The decision first comes from the arbiter, which is a former judge, and then uh, she makes the call, and then we go from there. There's an appeal process. The NFL can change things as well. But I thought it was interesting. The NFL leaked what they hope the punishment will be. And they leaked it to the USA Today the other day. And I think you could look at it from two different angles. Right? The story is that the NFL hopes they, they would like to spend him for at least a year. 
And I think you do that for one of two things. Either one, you put the pressure now on this arbiter to say, hey, this is what the league wants. They hope he's suspended for at least a year. And now maybe she feels the pressure of, oh, I was thinking more eight games. I guess that won't be enough. I better bump it up closer to a year. Maybe it's the NFL's way of trying to pressure somebody into helping them get what they want. Or the opposite. The NFL puts that out there for optics, and then they give whatever punishment they give Deshaun. Let's say it is eight games. And some football fans or some women out there or the accusers themselves are very upset and saying, how can you only give Deshaun Watson eight games? Then the NFL can come back and say, well, we, we wanted it to be a year, but it wasn't our decision. Roger Goodell can wipe his hands clean. Hey, we were hoping it'd be at least a year. But the arbiter made a call on only eight games. I think it's interesting that the NFL, just before the start of this appeal process, had that story leak. And I think they did so for a reason, and it may be one of those two reasons. We'll see what happens. But I think this whole thing is interesting to watch, obviously, from an NFL perspective. It's a big story. Deshaun Watson is a top quarterback in the league that, if he's able to play this year, could turn the Browns into a potential Super Bowl contender. Or he could be out all year and miss his second straight season during his prime. Of course, in these parts, there's a lot of Deshaun Watson fans, or at least were before the accusations, because of his time at Clemson. But also, if you're a fan of either the Panthers or the Falcons, you want to see what that punishment may be as well. Because the Panthers faced the Browns week one, the Falcons week four. I assume we're going to get some sort of suspension for Deshaun Watson. Though the NFLPA, reportedly, is going to argue for no punishment. I imagine he'll miss at least some time. I would like to think at least four games. But if he misses week one, if you're the Panthers, you don't have to worry about facing Deshaun. Right? If he misses week four, if you're the Falcons, you don't have to worry about facing Deshaun Watson. I assume Deshaun will miss at least those four games at minimum. I do think it's probably going to be for the full year which is another reason why, if you're a Panthers fan, maybe you should be also paying close attention. That is, if you want Baker Mayfield. Because what happens if Deshaun Watson is suspended for the entire year? Do the Browns and Baker Mayfield then somehow try to make things work so that Baker can be the guy this season before officially becoming a free agent? Here was Mike Tannenbaum, former NFL GM, on uh, Get Up. Or actually, I think this was First Take. On First Take, talking about how this could be the perfect relationship if they find a way to repair things, the Browns and Baker, and let Baker stay in Cleveland for one more year. Here was Tannenbaum. 100%. And a couple months ago, I thought it was crazy, guys, to even consider that. But this is the ultimate marriage of convenience. Assuming that Deshaun Watson is going to be ineligible for a significant period of time, they have a great team. Baker Mayfield needs them because that will enhance his ability to get a big contract next year. There are no better options. And if I'm the Browns, I know it's a tough pill to swallow, but what gives us the best chance to win this year? It's a combination of Mayfield and Jacoby Brissett, who's really better as a backup. So I know it's crazy. At first, I thought there was no way this could happen. But the more you think about it, logic does the work of reason sometimes. And this is really a win-win for both Baker Mayfield and the Browns. Yeah, it's something I said weeks ago. I do think it's the best-case scenario for the two teams to try to work it out. For Baker Mayfield, it's an audition on still a pretty good team in Cleveland. And then you officially become a free agent a year from now. And if you play well enough this season, you'll have ideally plenty of suitors in the offseason. And for Cleveland, if you find a way to make this work, well, if Deshaun is suspended all year, you go back to Baker, who was just your starter the last couple of years, led you to the playoffs two years ago. And I think that's a better option than Jacoby Brissett, who is currently the other quarterback on the roster. Problem is, it may be too far gone. Right? I don't know if this relationship can be repaired especially with the chip that's usually on the shoulder of baker i don't know if he can swallow that pride and go back to cleveland but maybe it could be the best thing for him he could go get a starting job elsewhere 
Carolina, Seattle, but neither team has as good of a roster or opportunity as what Cleveland presents. Plus, Baker, of course, has already played in Cleveland. He knows the coach. He knows the players. He knows the offense. If you go to Carolina, you're going to have a short amount of time to try to learn a new team and a new playbook, and we've seen quarterbacks struggle their first year with a new team trying to learn that stuff. We had that clip, I don't know, a month ago from Cam Newton saying that he never really grasped uh, things in New England. That's why he was struggling that first year. He was still kind of figuring it out as he went, the playbook and the offense and the calls at the line and the guys, right? It's difficult. When you spend your whole career, and for Baker, it's only been about four years, but you spend your whole career with one team doing it one way, then you have to adjust on the fly with another team. I think you'd rather just stay in Cleveland if you could swallow your pride. And for Carolina, that would take an option off the board. Here was Justina Anderson on uh, Fox Sports yesterday talking about Baker Mayfield and the Seahawks and the Panthers still having interest potentially in Baker. Here was Josina's report. Per what I reported uh, last week and the Seahawks having a high level of interest, that is true. The Seahawks would like Baker Mayfield, right? And we saw some uh, counter-reporting to some of the things that I was saying, well, you know, the Seahawks stance hasn't changed and what have you. You know, the thing that I'm trying to underline is that these conversations are always ongoing, right? And the fact that this is something that I'm hearing as of last week lets you know that that high level of interest is still there and that if if things can come to terms, they would like to get it done. Now, how that ends up getting executed is is, is what we're all waiting to see if that can happen. But the interest is there. Now, prior to uh, the teams going on break, I was hearing from a source that, you know, as far as uh, the Carolina Panthers, they were still looking into his background. Same thing with the Seahawks, that being Baker Mayfield. But uh, nothing was expected at the time that people were going on vacation. So we're still vetting through this. And I think that's where we kind of bring in the, the Browns into this conversation. I think it behooves them to figure out what is going on with the Deshaun Watson case and to know where you stand, and that will help navigate your conversations after that. That only makes sense, right? <laughs> that was Justina Anderson, which is why today becomes the start of maybe a few important days for a team like Carolina. You have to see what happens with Deshaun first, then you have to figure out the Baker situation. And if I'm the Browns, maybe it's too far gone, you can't fix that relationship, but if you find out in the next week or two that you have Deshaun is going to miss the entire year, Maybe I do come back to Baker and say, hey, how can we make this work? Because we'd rather have you be our starting quarterback as opposed to Jacoby Brissett, if it's going to be for a full year. Even if it's just eight games, I'd probably say, okay, Brissett can handle half a year. Deshaun will take it the rest of the way. We have him under contract for a few years. We can get Baker away from the team. But a full year, a little bit different. I don't know if I want Jacoby Brissett to be my guy for a full year when you have that window with hopes of winning a Super Bowl. And those windows only stay open so long. And once you start paying Deshaun Watson that big money, you'll won't, you won't be able to afford some of the other pieces as well. If you're a Carolina Panther fan that's hoping the Panthers wind up with Baker Mayfield, maybe you keep a close eye to see what the punishment is on Deshaun. Maybe that affects how available Baker truly becomes for the Cleveland Browns. Which takes me to this. When we come back, how much would Baker help Carolina? And which divisions have the best quarterbacks in the NFL? What are the best divisions for quarterbacks this year in the NFL? We'll get to that next. The Morrow Midday Show, right here on ESPN Radio. Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio.
Coming up, which divisions in the NFL have the best quarterbacks this year? We'll rank them here on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. Plus, how big of a difference would Baker Mayfield make for the Carolina Panthers in the NFC South? Get to that as well. As we uh, await official word, the hearing begins today with Deshaun in the NFL. I don't know what time it starts at. I don't know if we're going to get a quick resolution to all this. It still may drag on a little while, but at least this is the theoretical beginning to the end as we get some sort of clarity on all of this. And depending on what happens with Deshaun and the punishment could impact what happens with Baker Mayfield. And if he's made available and potentially becomes a member of the Carolina Panthers still this offseason. So uh, we'll get to that coming up in just a moment. Plenty of quarterback talk in the NFL. Speaking of quarterbacks, we also have to talk about top quarterbacks in the SEC a little bit later on as well. But you can always join the conversation, 843-721-9500 to give us a call. Let's first go to the phones because Billy's with us. Billy, what's going on? How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. I got two different questions. One's got to do with Sean Washington. Another one's got to do with soccer on football. I guess I'll go with the soccer on football question first. Sure. Um, the question I got with that is, and the thing that I've never understood about how the football schools hold, how come they have never been able to keep a consistent winning football team? Because they've shown that they can win up there. We've had a coach to do it before, but it's never been consistent. Is there any reason behind why it's never been consistent enough? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, that probably could require a little bit of a deep dive. I just think, you know, for South Carolina, they're in the toughest conference in football, of course, and uh, I don't think they're one of the better programs. So you can sprout up and have a good year or two, or you get a coach like Steve Spurrier who can put together a good run, uh, but it's hard to have that consistency because yeah. they're not like an Alabama or a Georgia or some of these other programs. And so it takes like yeah, that coach like a Spurrier or maybe a quarterback like a Spencer Rattler to be that difference maker, but it's hard to consistently – get that type of player or coach and have that type of program year after year in the SEC. Because even when we were an independent, even under the Morrison years, and when he was one of the, I guess, best, I think one of the best coaches we had before Spurrier even came, we still could be consistent, and we had like 8-8, eight, eight, and then still go back to losing records. So I don't know if it's a, like, it a recruiting thing or it's just because of the school itself or what. Um, the comment I want to make with Deshaun Watson is, I've been keeping up with it a while, and I know Wes is a big time question. I've heard him call a couple of weeks ago. I know we always don't seem to agree on stuff when we call, but on this one, i got to agree with him because the thing that I really don't understand about the whole situation is how can this, when Deshaun wanted to get out of Texas, none of this was even talked about. And the very next day, it was like a slam dunk and all this started coming out. And if you notice, like 20 out of 20-something um, the allegations have already been settled. It's all about money, but no one has brought up anything about any crime charges or any kind of sexual assault charges or anything else. It's like he said, she said. So, I mean, you can't always believe everything you hear on the news, and sometimes it's more proportional than you can say. And the other thing, too, is I do agree with what Trent said about a week or so ago when he had that one report where he text messaged that girl, which makes it kind of look bad. But that could be just one instance instead of 20 or oh, some more all girls after all that first start. If he just wanted out of Texas, and then the very next day, this was like a hurricane, like the slam down. So um, I'll hang up and listen. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Appreciate it, Billy. Um, regardless, whether it's one or, you know, 24, I don't know if, uh, like, once you cross that, that line, it's all bad. It's just a matter of how bad is it. And 
I would get like if if you had if you if we originally thought there was twenty six and then somehow we were able to like oh actually it was just one case all right I get it that you built up this idea in your head like wow this is really sick twenty six women oh it's only one mentally you'd have the the thought like oh that is a big difference not as bad as I thought but it's still bad I mean one one is too much one is too many if you do something um, some sort of sexual assault or harassment or even just make somebody uncomfortable in their workplace. Uh, right, I think one is is far too many, which I thought was interesting when we played the audio last week of Amy Dash, who said, why are we lumping it all in one suspension? Why not give six games for each case? And therefore, Deshaun would be suspended for eight and a half years. I don't think that would ever happen. I don't know if the PA would ever allow that to happen. But it is an interesting point that once we get into that territory of any sort of accusations, it all kind of is bunched together. Um, whether it's uh, 4 or 24, right? The punishment may still be the same in terms of how many games you think would be required. Now, we do know the NFL hopes, reportedly, that it's at least a year. I don't know if that would be the case if it was far fewer accusations. If it was only one, I don't think they would give them a year punishment. But a lot of people I do know, and maybe it's human nature, you bunch together, like once you did it, um, you know, it doesn't matter if it was four cases or 24, like uh, what's done was done. And Amy Dash, I thought, had that interesting point, as unlikely as it may be. That right when you have 24 accusations, uh, to have them all be individual issues, delivering a sentence for each of the 24, if you will, when it comes to the NFL. So we'll see what happens as it gets going today. Yeah, we truly will never know what actually transpired. That's the difficulty with cases like this. It is his word versus their word, her word. They're the only people in the room. Sean made sure there was um, – secrecy to the whole thing i mean he had some of these women sign ndas which i don't know you know i've gotten a professional massage before i don't think i've ever showed up anywhere in my life ever with an nda seems a little curious um and with all the accusations as well just uh when there's smoke a lot of times not always there's fire but we have some odd text messages we have the the paper trail of 66 at least 66 women that Deshaun reached out to over a 17-month period. Is any of this technically illegal? I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. You can get into uh, prostitution charges, even if it was um, consensual uh, sex. We had that audio from Amy Dash as well, that if it happens during the massage, it doesn't matter if it's consensual or what. You know, going back to the whole happy ending thing, doesn't matter. You're paying for a service that leads to something sexual. That is still technically illegal. It's prostitution. Um, so we could have that whole debate. But the idea for the NFL is it doesn't have to be legal. For the punishment. And so when we have this conversation now, today, last week, next week about Deshaun, I'm not talking about put him in jail and punish him. We already went through the legal process, and now we have these lawsuits. But I'm looking at it from the NFL perspective. And we've seen NFL give out uh, punishments before when guys did not get in trouble with the law because that's not what it requires. Just as long as you, quote-unquote, you know, embarrass the shield of the NFL. If you do something that puts yourself as an employee in a bad spot, the NFL will punish you for it. And so that's how I look at it. Even if Deshaun didn't technically do anything illegal, still, when you have this story and you have accusations and lawsuits from 24 different women and you had to settle 20 of them and we still have four more and maybe others will come forward. And now, by the way, the Texans have been included. The Texans are being sued. When I have a team that's being sued because of one of the players' actions, even if it's uh, slightly unfounded, just the fact that we have this whole situation. If I'm the NFL, I'm saying, yeah, there's got to be a – look at what you're putting us through. You're making us look terrible. And you could say, well, Deshaun didn't do anything wrong. Well, just simply by going to 66 massage therapists in 17 months put himself in a position where if you want to believe that all these women are making up a story, I would tell you Deshaun put himself in a situation where he was vulnerable enough to have all these women make up a story about him. And so if I'm Roger Goodell, that's enough of a reason for me. As a franchise quarterback, you're supposed to be a great decision maker. 
If I'm the Cleveland Browns and I'm going to pay you whatever it was, $350 million, I want you to be making good decisions. And whether he was doing anything illegal or not, I don't think it's a great decision to go to 66 different massage therapists that you found on Instagram DMs over a 17-month period where if you want to believe Deshaun's innocence in all of this, you put yourself in a position where something like this could happen in the first place. It's like the idea your parents always said, right? Nothing good happens after midnight. Even if you didn't do anything wrong, you were in an area where a buddy of yours did something wrong, and then just by association, right, it rubs off negatively on you, and your parents are like, why were you there? Or why are you hanging out with that kid? Or what are you doing after midnight? Similar here. Like, why are you going to 66 different massage therapists that they're not even technically all massage therapists. You just found these women on Instagram, and you're going to 66 different ones over a 17-month period. Do the math. It's a different one a week. If I'm the Texans, I'd be upset. Like, what are you doing? You're putting, we have massage therapists here. Why are you putting yourself in this situation? We need you on the field playing games. We can't have something happen. If I had a buddy doing it who's not playing in the NFL, I said this previously in one of these conversations. If I sat at the bar and was talking with a buddy and catching up with him, and he said, like, hey, I've been messaging these girls on Instagram, and I've gone to 66 different massage therapists in the last year and a half. I'd be like, what are you doing? Why? Especially if you have a girlfriend at home. Like, what decision-making is this? So for the NFL and for potential punishment, like I don't even look at the legality of it all. That's a, that's even a whole other conversation. I think just simply putting yourself in this position or having this much smoke. If I'm the NFL, I'm saying, yeah, there's got to be a punishment. You're making us look bad. You're putting us in a tough spot. This is embarrassing to the league, to our franchise. The Texans are looking at, like enablers. There's got to be some sort of punishment to all of it. Whether he uh, ever gets in trouble with the law or not is, to me, irrelevant. Same idea with the the same examples I always cite. Ben Roethlisberger, Ezekiel Elliott, Adrian Peterson. I'm sure there's many others that I could come up with, that guys that didn't actually get in trouble with the law. But they did something enough. They put themselves in the headlines. They put themselves in a situation that wasn't great, that the NFL said, yeah, this is enough. We're going to punish you for a little while. You made us look bad. There's got to be some sort of punishment for that. 843-721-9500. Let's go back to the phones. Tim is with us. Tim, what's going on? How are you? Hey, Luke, how are you today? Good. What's up? I think one of the big points Billy was trying to make, and that, that was something I've thought about all along since this has started with him, it seems awful funny that none of this came out until Deshaun demanded he wanted to trade from the Texans because of what they were doing. They got rid of De- DeAndre Hopkins. They got rid of key players on that offense, and, they just the whole organization was a dumpster fire from what I saw. I, I the big question I had in my head was: it seemed awful convenient for this to happen at the same time. You know, he wanted a trade. He wanted out of Texas, and this attorney supposedly has a relationship with the owner of the Texans, which is a red flag to me from the start. As to let's see what we can dig up on him so we he, he can't go anywhere. Yeah, I would have agreed with you originally, but I do think that now that we've gotten more information where the Texans, I mean, did they put this information out originally because we believe they were enablers? Maybe, but the Texans now were dragged into this whole thing where they're, they're part of the lawsuit. So I don't know if they'd want to put them. I, I get the idea. I get the theories. I originally uh, questioned the timing as well when it first all came out. I just think the more information we have, I don't know how likely it is. And now that the Texans are being dragged into this, I don't know if they'd want to put themselves in that situation where they're part of these lawsuits now, and they look bad out of all this with the information we got that they were you know, setting up Deshaun with uh, personal rooms to uh, get these massages. Um, maybe the Texans would view it's all worth it to, for the, the football side of things, but I don't think they want to put themselves in this story or get that bad publicity along with Deshaun either. 
Is there a possibility they didn't take it far enough through to realize that they may be dragged into the lawsuit? Uh, I'm sure, right? Cal McNair, who runs the team, may not be the smartest. We've heard plenty of stories about him. He may not be the smartest guy running the Texans. Um, but uh, I just think that there's there's too much um, too much smoke here to have it all be some sort of conspiracy or that nothing was going on at all. Well, I'm not going to say there was nothing going on. I'm just saying it just seemed awful convenient. But now, like you said, now there's been information, and now they're dragging the Texans organization into it i'm just like oh, okay so this kind of turned about on you you know it's kind of like that person that tries to think something and then it backfires and i'm wondering if you know like you said this owner is not the brightest cookie i mean obviously he's smart enough to make money because i'm not gonna deny that but when it comes to this it just i don't know i've just questioned this whole thing um and I'm not going to sit there and say he didn't do it. I'm not that naive to think that as nice a guy as he always seemed to be. I remember the first check he got from Houston. He gave it to the three ladies in the down in the kitchen or the laundry room, or they were I forget what it was. And he split the check up and gave it three ways to them. I, you know, I'm, it just it all kind of seems weird to me. And the way it all came about, and it all seemed the timing just seemed. It, 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 it just seemed like it was too coincidental. Yeah, I get that. I think a lot of people feel that way. I appreciate the call, Tim. I will say this in regards to the timing, that we do have we have knowledge of the Texans potentially being enablers, and we also have knowledge of the Texans being the ones to provide Deshaun with the uh, uh, NDAs that he would then take to the massage therapist. So I'll say this in regards to the timing, because we had the woman first came out when he was still playing with the Texans. Right, The accusations actually began before they really became public knowledge when Deshaun was still playing with the Texans, and a woman posted it all on Instagram. And then that's when the Texans, Deshaun, went to the security staff of the Texans, and they provided him with NDAs moving forward to avoid further accusations or issues. But when Deshaun then wants out of Houston, what I would potentially lead credence to is the idea that he then lost, lost his, uh, his uh, security blanket. That the Texans, as long as Deshaun's their quarterback, look, you know, these NFL teams uh, aren't always on the up and up. The Texans knew about at least the accusations. Deshaun came to them after a woman posted online, and their response was, here are some NDAs to use moving forward so this doesn't happen again. And then once Deshaun no longer wants to be there, if you're the Houston Texans, you're thinking like, all right, well, what are we covering this guy for? That'd be the only thing I would lead credence to, that the Texans didn't leak this to a lawyer, didn't say like, all right, let's get back at Deshaun. But it's just that um, they were helping him in a sense, we believe. They were serving as some sort of enabler. And then once Deshaun kind of ruins that relationship, it's like, all right, well, then we don't, we don't have to have your back anymore. And no longer do you have a powerful organization that's um, you know, trying to sweep it, help you sweep this all under the rug as they reportedly did the first time the accusations came out during the season. That would have been, uh, what was that, 2019? Whatever his last year was actually playing for the Tech. 2020, I guess that would have been. Last year he sat out, now we're 2022. So it first started during the 2020 season, and then, you know, then, the, then we got all these different types of lawsuits. But we got text messages. We got apologies. We got a woman crying. You know, I mean, there's enough here that uh, – that I don't think it's just uh, some sort of conspiracy or the Texans doing this or that oh, a bunch of women got together, came up with the same story, and said, we're going to get this guy. 
I think, A, he put himself in a position to be vulnerable like that, regardless of what may have uh, transpired. And then, B, the timing does seem coincidental, certainly. But I think that any sort of coincidence may just be simply you kind of lost your security blanket. The Texans were helping you sweep it under the rug, and then when uh, you don't want to play for them, it's almost like, what's our motivation to continue to help you with this situation? And then things could snowball from there. The hearing begins today with Deshaun and the NFL. And we'll see what the NFL decides as a potential ruling moving forward. Oh, by the way, the other thing I did want to touch on is I do think that's part of the issue for a lot of people looking at this is because you knew him as this great guy, as most people did around him. You never heard a bad word about Deshaun, which made this whole thing shocking. And so a lot of times, if you're a Clemson fan, even if you're not a Clemson fan, if you're just a football fan and you thought, wow, that Deshaun guy seems like a great guy, it's hard for you to then adjust in your mind that this could possibly be true. Just like when a loved one does something terrible and you think, like, how could he do it? How could my brother, mother, the husband, sister, whatever? I've known them my whole life. How could they do such a I never thought they had that in them. And I remember saying this at the time when these accusations came out, that any time you get a terrible news story, what do the neighbors always say? You interview the neighbor about their na- the person living next door to them that turned out to be a serial killer. Right? Oh, I never saw it coming. He was such a great guy. BTK, a serial killer, was a church leader. Everybody was shocked when that news came out. Bill Cosby, when we got that news, it was like, wow, really? Bill Co- He seemed like such a great guy. You never see it coming. It's never the people that you actually suspect. It's never the shady guy that lives on the corner of your street and think, like, what is, what is that guy up to in that house? They make movies about it. People break into the house and they realize, like, hey, he's just a lonely old man. Leave him alone. But it's always the guy right next door, the family man who seems to have it all put together that actually has some skeletons in his closet. Whenever we get these news about something terrible happening and they interview a relative or neighbor, they give you the same. Never saw it coming. Great guy. Never had a problem with them. Good father. Right? Goes to church every week. It's usually the people that you don't see it coming from, which is probably why you never pick up like on the you know, probably why it happens in the first place because you're not suspicious of them doing something. So I think that's also part of the issue that a lot of people have a hard time reprogramming their minds to see is somebody in a different light. And maybe that plays into the idea of, like, no way could he have done this. I don't know. Maybe he didn't. But just because he seemed like a great guy, we've seen great people do terrible things before, unfortunately. Some of them are in jail. We'll rank uh, quarterback divisions coming up. It's the more Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. This song probably works on multiple levels today. As it's raining out there, be careful on the roads. You can also apply it to probably the whole Deshaun situation. Although my problem with that song, as great of a song as it is, right? Uh, Thunder only happens when it's raining. Isn't that the line? That's not true. We get thunder without rain before. Or even you'll get uh, lightning without thunder. It's far enough away. Thunder without lightning sometimes. Eh, Come on. What is this? You get heat lightning. There's no rain on that. Sometimes it brings thunder. Anyways, um, in regards to Deshaun, we got a little uh, off schedule, so we'll circle back to the quarterback talk later on and ranking divisions because I do want to devote enough time to that. I think it's uh, 
an interesting conversation to be had. We'll also talk about top quarterbacks in the SEC. Plenty of quarterback talk throughout the afternoon. We've been focusing on one quarterback in particular in Deshaun Watson as his hearing begins today. And I know it's still a divisive topic. In summary, like I'm writing a paper back in the day. used to give your three paragraphs, and your intro, your three paragraphs, and then always start at the end in summary. Then you got to like high school or whatever it was, and they told you, like, that's a terrible way to write. Don't do that. Even that's how they taught you growing up, at least where I went to school. But in summary, to summarize it all, when it comes to the Sean situation, you can believe whatever you want. You may think that uh, the Texans had an axe to grind. These women are conspiring against Deshaun. Maybe you think all the accusations are completely true. Maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle. But as I said before, to me, it's, it's largely irrelevant at this point when it, in the eyes of the NFL. And I've looked at this mostly from the NFL perspective. The legal situation, whatever. That's not necessarily a sports story. I'm, I'm not a lawyer either. I don't know all the little details. I'm just looking at it from the NFL side. That, again, whether uh, Deshaun is guilty of what these women have accused him of or if he's as innocent as he claims. To me, if I'm the NFL, I don't care. Because of the situation, you put yourself in regardless. And you may say, that's that's silly. How can you blame Deshaun Watson? Well, next time, don't DM strangers on Instagram to get massages that at times would lead to consensual sex while having a girlfriend at home and doing it with 66 different women over 17 months. You know, like if uh, these women accused me, but I was truly innocent, number one, I don't know if my employer would have the same understanding. I don't know if if anybody would uh, get uh, a raise, an upgrade, a new job, with those accusations hanging over their heads like Deshaun did this offseason. Only really athletes probably benefit from that. But, like, if I went home, and even if I was completely innocent, and if my parents knew I didn't do anything wrong, still, they would bust out the wooden spoon. And you'd scream at me, like, what are you doing messaging strangers online and meeting up with 66 different women over 17? Why are you putting yourself in that situation? That's the whole point. And that's what I would say, too, if I was Roger Goodell. Like, I don't care. At this point, what you did in those rooms, whether it's true or not, somebody else can figure that out. Roger Goodell, I'm not a lawyer. You're not in a, you know, we're not trying to put you in jail. But just simply by making the decisions to put yourself in that position wasn't very wise. And that's enough for me, if I'm the NFL, to come down with some sort of punishment. And if I put myself in that situation, even if I didn't do, if, even if these women were making up accusations about me, my parents would be sympathetic that somebody was lying about me, but they'd also say, why would you put yourself in that, why would you even give them the opportunity? Why would you put yourself in that position? It wasn't very wise. And that's how I look at it, at least from the NFL. Again, that doesn't mean put them in jail. I'm not talking about the legalities of it all. But from the NFL, to me, it's enough. Enough of a situation that, eh. There's got to be some sort of punishment handed down. And it seems like a year is a good number. And come back a year from now. But we'll see with the hearing beginning today. We'll talk plenty more about the quarterbacks throughout the afternoon because the interesting domino effect in all this could be Baker Mayfield's availability. And if the punishment is severe enough, could the Browns then come back to Baker and say, let's try to work this out? And if they do, that takes off that quarterback option off the board for Carolina. And what would that mean for the Panthers? We'll circle back to all that coming up throughout the afternoon. We'll catch up with a member of the Charleston Battery at the top of the hour as well. And also the ACC changing their scheduling model, and uh, I think it's a a good move for them. It's something I've been clamoring for with these different conferences for a while. We'll get to that coming up. We'll wrap up Hour 1. The more Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Yo, what up? What's the word, big fella? Everything's good on this end. 
Hey, Luke, how's it going? Thanks for having me on the show. Hey, Luke. Hey, man. Pleasure to be on your show. I'm doing great, but I'm hoping you could call me Boca Baby. Great show. You did a good job. You're turning into rapidly my favorite person I've interviewed with, and I've done like 50 of these in the last week. You've done your homework. I like it. I absolutely like it. I love that. Another great thought. You've done your homework, haven't you? Good job. You've always getting big stars and important people on. That's, that's great to hear. We like to hear the interviews. You know, it's uncanny how you do this, Luke. And I don't know how you do because I, you know, I do this gauntlet of radio on Thursdays where I do all these different cities. Many of them need their hosts to have me give them some talking points. You hit all my talking points every week. <laughs> it's, it's uncanny how good you are. Always great talking football with you, Luke. Appreciate you guys being right. Very impressive. just want to say I find you the low country Colin Coward. You use common sense with statistics, and you combine them, and you think outside the box. Shout out to all the people in Charleston that support the show. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. You inspire us to listen more to your show every single day. Da-da-da-da-da. Da-da-da-da. Go ahead, boy. That's why you bring it on. Is this a sports show or a dancing show? I, I don't know. Sometimes I don't know what we're doing around here. Bush with Luke for three hours, anything goes. On the Morrow Midday Show. Don't even miss her. I'm a bad boy for breaking her heart. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. We still have a lot to get to throughout the afternoon. Clinton Kershaw, I thought, had some interesting comments for Freddie Freeman. Plus, we'll get back to the top quarterback divisions in the NFL, the type of impact Baker could have for the Panthers if he winds up there. The ACC making a scheduling change. What does it mean for Clemson moving forward? We'll get to all that. But before we wrap up our one today, hey, today is uh, National Insurance Awareness Day. I come from the insurance capital of the world. That's the family business, in fact, insurance. So happy National Insurance Awareness Day. This is me making you aware that you need insurance, at least car insurance. Stay on the good side of the Mar Midday Show uh, family, folks. That's right. Or if you're on the bad side, don't worry. We can offer you some insurance as well. <laughs> Make sure you're taken care of. It's also National Alaska Day. Oh, good. Yeah. But how about yesterday was National Bingo Day? National Bingo Day. Yeah. Now, I I did not know. That's right. I did not know this history. Bingo was not always its name-o. And it wasn't always for your grandfather either. The game began as Lotto in Italy in the 1500s and was primarily for kids. The game did not arrive in the United States until the 1920s, and it was then called Bino because they used beans instead of chips. Also, did you know that Bingo... Is every New Yorker's right because the game is recognized in the Bill of Rights in the state's constitution for New York. What? They love their bingo in New York. Look at the Italians just making everything better. That's right. That's what we do. And lastly, a man from England won $9 million playing online bingo in 2012. Your bingo fun facts for the day. Yesterday was National Bingo Day. Hopefully you played. Love a good game of bingo. We'll catch up with a member of the battery when we come back.
This is the Morrow Midday Show. But wait, there's more. On ESPN Radio. Second hour of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. We'll catch up with a member of the Charleston Battery in just a moment. Hey, don't forget, every Monday, 8 a.m., you can get yourself a foursome at a beautiful golf course here throughout the Low Country as part of our 2022 Summer Golf Tour. Foursomes become available for just 98.9 at a different golf course each and every week. The Summer Golf Tour is off and rolling. And next Monday, it'll be for the uh, Plantation Course at Edisto. Of course, these foursomes go incredibly fast, so get there soon. Uh, get there quickly, right after 8 a.m. Don't forget, Monday, 8 a.m. Also, it's going to be a holiday, July 4th. You're going to get ready for the cookout. You're going to go out and celebrate. But first, lock yourself up a foursome for the Plantation Course at Edisto for just 98.9. Next Monday, 8 a.m., for the Summer Golf Tour, head over to charlestonsportsradio.com to get your foursome next Monday. We catch up with a member of the Charleston Battery each and every week. Hey, they're home tomorrow night. Let's hope we get a nice Wednesday night evening. Let's get all this rain out of the way. We get a nice clear night at Patriots Point, and the Battery will uh, take on tomorrow night. They'll be at home for their uh, next match as uh, they'll take on Atlanta United 2. Tomorrow night, 730. Get your tickets online at charlestonbattery.com, and uh, let's uh, hope the rain uh, goes away today. Get it out of the way. Get a nice night. The Battery have been playing good soccer lately. The boys are hot, and joining us now is Leland Archer from the Charleston Battery, one of their defenders. Leland, good afternoon. How are you? Hey, how are you? Doing well. Appreciate the time. Uh, it seems like you know we, we caught up, but we've caught up with your teammates each week. It's been interesting talking to the guys throughout the year that you know after a little bit of a slow start, you guys seem to be playing uh, better soccer of late, so – let me ask you for your opinion. Where have you seen the big difference for the team now that you guys have been uh, seemingly been playing better soccer here these last few weeks? Yeah, we've definitely um, been gelling a little bit better recent weeks, so it's been working for us on the field. Now, you've been a member of the Battery here for quite a few years. You're one of the veterans of the team. When a team's going through tough times, do you feel like you're a leader, that you're one of those guys that can step up and uh, try to get things back on track since you've been here for a few years? Yeah, definitely. You know, I've kind of been around it for a while, so kind of keeping the guys motivated, you know, not letting them drop their heads because there's still a lot of games to play. Yeah, certainly. Uh, and uh, still a long season, as we mentioned. The battery's starting to play better. New guys on the team, a new coach this year, a lot of changes. You've been a constant. You're a veteran. What's it been like for you, Leland, uh, you know, becoming familiar with the new coaching staff, some of the new players that have been brought into this team this year? Yeah, it's obviously different. You know, I've been – been around our old coach for a little while, but new things that we have to adjust to. But yeah, it's been good. It's been good so far. You've made over seventy appearances with the Battery. You played at the College of Charleston, so you've spent a lot of time now in this area. You must be a big fan here of the Low Country, huh? You must like Charleston. Yeah, it's not a bad place to live, huh? <laughs> no, not at all. You're preaching to the choir. Um, you uh, played at the College of Charleston, and now obviously with the Battery. So you spent time 
uh, playing here, and you've seen the, the development and the growth there at Patriots Point to that home stadium that you guys have now. We've had you on the show before, so I'm sure I asked you about it then. But now that we're a little bit further and more and more is being added to that stadium, just what are your thoughts of seeing the changes that have been brought to that soccer stadium that you've been playing at for a while and, uh, you know, what it looks like now compared to, man, when you were playing for the uh, Cougars about eight years ago? Yeah, obviously it's a lot different now. I love playing for College of Charleston, but I think the the ownership has done a really great job in, you know, transforming that stadium into kind of a fortress for us and, you know, it looks great on game nights, and it definitely has a, a feel of, of a real nice home home feel for us, so it's good. Yeah, I can imagine so. Now, what was it that originally brought you to Charleston? How did you wind up at the College of Charleston originally back in 2014? I kind of got scouted by coach at the time, Ralph Lundy. Um, came to Trinidad and saw me play, and kind of invited me to you know come on a visit and it reminded me of back home, so I kind of fell in love with it. Yeah, I uh, so you know, as you said, came from Trinidad. Um, give you know, I've never, I haven't been fortunate enough to to get to Trinidad. You said this reminds you of home. Uh, give me, try to give me that comparison. What is it? Is it the beaches? Is is it the is it the weather? What is it about this area that seems similar to where you came from? Yeah, I'd say probably the beaches, weather. Um, you know, it's, it's hot all the time in Trinidad, so it's it's very similar. You know, being close to the beach, 15, 20 minutes away from the beach, a lot of similarities. When you grew up in Trinidad, are all the kids playing soccer? Is that the big sport there? Yeah, soccer and cricket. We play cricket as well. Did you play cricket growing up or just soccer? Uh, for fun, I did, but not. I never played it seriously. <laughs> Yeah, unlike soccer, we're talking about Leland Archer, who became a, obviously now playing for the, the battery, so it worked out pretty well. He became a professional soccer player. At what point in your career or your life did you have that realization that you, you could become a professional and that eventually, right, you come here to the States to play in college? When did you first start to get that idea that this could become a reality for you, that you could come play here in college and play professionally? Yeah, um, I think probably in college, when I came to college here, you know, we have some scrimmages against, at the time, Charleston Battery, you know. And I kind of realized, you know, I could kind of keep up with these guys. So I think that was kind of my first realization where I could play at this level. Now it is, uh, we're wrapping up here at the end of June, Caribbean American Heritage Month. You're one of six players on the battery that come from the Caribbean. Um, is I imagine it's nice to have other guys from the Caribbean on the roster as well that uh, I'm sure you guys share similarities in your, your culture and and maybe how you came up playing the sport as well. I'm sure it's nice to have other guys on the team from the Caribbean as well. Yeah, definitely. You know, we share a lot of similar culture, so it's good to have those guys around you. Kind of, you know, just bring that a little more closer to home. So help me out. If I come over to to your house for for a meal, like what's the main dish? If I want an authentic meal that you grew up, something you grew up eating, what's the thing that you would be serving me? Uh, probably. Probably save you some pilau. It might not be the best cook, but I'll get it to you. <laughs> it's kind of like stewed, stewed uh, chicken with rice mixed in and peas. Hey, sounds good to me. You're not much of a cook? Very good. You're not doing much uh, cooking? I cook, I cook now and again, but I don't know if I trust it much. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. Talking with Leland Archer from the uh, Charleston Battery. Uh, what, what did it mean for you? You've been called up to your national team a handful of times over the past year. You, you made your debut against the U.S. back in January of 2021. I imagine that's a real thrill. What was that like for you? 
yeah, obviously it's an honor getting called up for a national team. Um, kind of a dream come true for me. So hopefully, you know, I get more of those and can keep keep progressing with the national team. Do you remember the moment when you found out? I don't know if it was a phone call, if it was in person. What was it like when you were told that you were going to be part of the national team? Yeah, it was a, it was a phone call. It was both exciting and kind of nervous at the same time, but it was good good emotions. Do you still have family in uh, Trinidad? I do. All my family All back home family. in Trinidad. Yeah. So that must have, uh, obviously, you know, I'm sure that's something you call your family right away and everybody's so proud of you, right? Yeah, definitely. My dad was, I think he was more excited than me to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Did, uh, growing up, um, you know, it was, uh, as you mentioned, it's a big sport. So I imagine, you know, is soccer the family sport as well? Your father, if you have siblings, relatives, everybody playing soccer? Yeah, me and my me and my sister played. Um, she didn't play as seriously as I did, but my dad actually played basketball a lot growing up. Not seriously, but he kind of just played around for fun. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Do you, does your uh, family get to uh, get to the Low Country here at all? Yeah, they actually came out a couple of weeks ago and and had a blast. So that was good. Yeah, that's always great. I'm sure to be able to get them here in the in the Low Country and spend some time with the family. As we talk with Leland Archer from the um, Charleston Battery, you also spent some uh, some time uh, playing in Scotland, right? What was that experience like? Oh, very different from Charleston, but it was very good. I enjoyed it. Um, I went around Christmas time, so it was very cold, but I liked it. Well, how, what what are your thoughts with the cold weather? Um, not like home, so. <laughs> But it was just getting, getting used to it, but it was good. Yeah, yeah, I, I bet. Talking with Leland Archer. As you guys get ready to play tomorrow night uh, at home, hopefully we get a nice uh, clear night for you at Patriots Point against Atlanta United too. What are some things that as a team, look, you guys are playing better soccer of late. What are some things that the, the, the coaches, the, you guys as players, are still stressing and that you're still uh, working on as a team here moving forward? Yeah, um, I think the coaches are just giving us more and more confidence, you know, to be to be better with the ball and giving us that freedom. So, yeah, I think it's been it's been good for us to have that. What about you on an individual perspective? Have you been pleased with how the season has gone for you personally so far this year? I think there's always room for improvement. Um, yeah, I think I could always improve my game uh, um, to help the team. So, I won't say totally pleased, but well, I'm okay with it. Hey, spoken like a true athlete. I know you guys are never pleased. You're always working on something, right? You, you never feel uh, like you've perfected the craft. What's something personally that you've been working on this year? I know you, you guys are always trying to improve their games, add something new to the game. What's something you've been working on this year that you'd like to uh, improve as the season goes on? Yeah, um, I think my goal scoring threat um, to help the team on the, the other end of the field, um, what I've been working on. So hopefully get a couple of goals to come with that. Now, as we already discussed, you've spent some time here in the Low Country. You played at the College of Charleston. Now with the Battery, you talked about the the home field there at Patriots Point. But what's it been like to um, have the the crowd support here now, playing soccer here for the last about eight years? What have the crowds been like playing for here at home in Charleston? Yeah, it's, it's been really good. And obviously, you know, with the new the new stadium, I think it's been even better. So I think, you know, having that support is good for us and the, and the team to do well. All right, before I let you go, uh, when you have a day off, as you said, you like the beach, you've been here a while, you know all the spots around here. What do you like to do around these parts when you have a day off, you don't have to train or you're done with practice, whatever it may be? How is Leland Archer spending some of his downtime here in Charleston? Uh, yeah, I'm a very, very simple guy, so probably just get some food, relax, you know, chill, 
not too much on the body, so probably my day off. Yeah, I don't blame you. He's Leland Archer, part of the Charleston Battery, one of their defenders. The Battery, they're home tomorrow night. Get your tickets online, charlestonbattery.com, as they take on Atlanta United 2 tomorrow night at 7.30 uh, for this one. Last thing, Leland, what can you tell us about Atlanta United 2 as we look ahead to this game tomorrow? What are you guys preparing for as you go up against Atlanta United 2 tomorrow night? Yeah, they've got a lot of young players on their team, you know, because they're the two-team of Atlanta United. So I think they play with a lot of a lot of tenacity. You know, they're not scared to do things. So it'll be interesting. Sure will. Get your tickets online at charlestonbattery.com, and uh, you can be out there tomorrow night to see that match and go uh, cheer on Leland and all the rest of the Charleston Battery guys as well. Leland, appreciate the time. Appreciate you joining us. I know you guys are getting busy. Uh, you are busy getting ready for that game tomorrow. So appreciate you joining us and wish you the best of luck tomorrow night and the rest of the season. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey, pleasure's all ours. Appreciate it. Leland Archer of the Charleston Battery. They're home tomorrow against Atlanta United 2. Get your tickets at charlestonbattery.com because uh, after that, let's see, uh, they're home again on July 9th. Get your tickets for all future matches at home online at charlestonbattery.com. Ooh, Saturday, July 16th, the Hartford Athletic coming to town. Ooh, may have to go to that one. Whenever they play the Athletic, it's always uh, it's a tough one. You know, it's like choosing between, uh, what was the, the famous line, uh, my my lover, my sister? What's that movie? With, uh, is it De Niro? Ah, I'll come up with a reference. It'll come to me. Give me a commercial break, and then I'll let you know what I was talking about. Chinatown, is that the film back in the 70s? Appreciate the time from Leland Archer. Uh, uh, get your tickets online at charlestonbattery.com as the battery are home tomorrow night. And look, I'm not going to take uh, all the credit, but uh, you know they've been playing some good soccer lately, and um, we like to steal credit here in the Mormon Day Show, so we'll 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 accept responsibility. They're coming off a draw, then you had a, a one goal loss, then a nice three nothing win, then another draw, and most recently lost on the road two to one against FC Tulsa. Tough result, but uh, you know as I always tell you, point differential is the most telling stat in sports. And if you look at the Charleston Battery, right, all these tough losses, draws, obviously ties, or they lose them by one goal on the road. So they're starting to play a little better this past month. Plenty of season left. Get your tickets and go support them the rest of the way, charlestonbattery.com. Coming up, Quentin Kershaw with some interesting comments on Freddie Freeman. We spent a lot of time talking about Freeman's return to Atlanta yesterday. And then Kershaw had some comments as well on the whole thing. We'll get to that coming up. The more Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spin lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Coming up, Clayton Kershaw with some comments about Freddie Freeman's return this past weekend to Atlanta. We'll get to that here on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. Appreciate the time last segment from Leland Archer of the Charleston Battery. And if you ever miss anything from the show, catch you on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast. 
They're at home tomorrow night against Atlanta United 2. Get your tickets online at charlestonbattery.com. Hopefully we get a nice Wednesday night, not only so the battery can play uh, without any issues, and you can go out and watch them tomorrow night, but also so I can get my pickup hoops in. I play basketball every Wednesday night. It always seems to rain on Wednesdays. Now, today it's raining, and it may rain all week long, but Wednesdays especially. And by the way, the movie, I, it was Chinatown what I was trying to think of. Not De Niro, though. It was, uh, Jack Nicholson. And uh, a classic film. And the line is, my sister, my daughter. Right? She's going back and forth trying to think, my sister, my daughter. And then Nicholson slaps her. And then at the time, people thought, whoa, this was big. And then you realize it's a Roman Polanski movie. And Roman Polanski went on to do even worse things. And yet still got an award for, uh, for his films afterwards at the Oscars. And you thought uh, uh, Will Smith uh, slapping uh, Chris Rock was the worst thing you've seen from the Oscars. If you're unfamiliar, you could Google the Roman Polanski story. Uh, Chinatown, though, classic film. When the Hartford Athletic play the Charleston Battery, I'm un- I don't know what to do. I'm like that actress. I can't decide between, in this case, the two teams, the Battery or the Hartford Athletic. So Freddie Freeman made his return to the Atlanta Braves over the weekend. Or made his return to Atlanta, really, to take on the Braves. And we played a bunch of the audio yesterday, and he was very emotional. And we were talking about it a little bit yesterday. Clayton Kershaw had some comments after Sunday, after the end of the series. I did not see these yesterday until we got off the air, but I find it interesting. Here's what Kershaw told the uh, Atlanta Journal-Constitution after the weekend series. He said, quote, it was very cool to see Freeman's reception Friday night. He's obviously been a big contributor for our team, and I hope we're not second fiddle. It's a pretty special team over here, too. I think whenever he gets comfortable over here, he'll really enjoy it. It was a good night for him Friday. That's what Kershaw said. Interesting. He started off saying it was very cool. Then he said he's been a big contributor for our team. I'm, of course, adding the emphasis, but that's how I read it. He's been a big, emph- he's been a big contributor for our team. I hope we're not second fiddle. It's a pretty special team over here. Whenever he gets comfortable over here, he'll really enjoy it. And there was a photo circulating that, you know, I don't know if you read too much into it, but what do they say? A photo can, a photo says a thousand words. Where all the Dodgers are on the top step of the dugout and Freddie was sitting by himself in the Dodgers dugout. I think it was Sunday's game in Atlanta. Sitting by himself behind all those guys. And even was a little like slouched, almost like he just reading from the picture, almost like he was a little unhappy or something. All the guys were on the top step, and Freeman was on by himself. Kershaw had those comments. Obviously, it's an emotional thing for Freeman to return to Atlanta after spending his career there. But Kershaw, with this clip, I don't know if he speaks for a lot of the guys in that locker room, but they probably thought like, "All right, like almost like enough with this. You're on a you're a Dodger now. You're not with these Braves." And the easy comparison is always to, like, a relationship when it comes to sports, of course. And this one's the easy comparison of Clayton Kershaw being, like, the new girlfriend or boyfriend. And the person they're dating is all hung up over the old one. Be like if, for whatever reason, you went to an ex's wedding. I don't know. Maybe you're still on good terms. Like in the office when Jim and Pam go to Roy's wedding. And they thought it'd be, like, kind of awkward. And then they saw, like, you know, Roy's fine. Now he plays the piano and he sings and he's got a beautiful new wife. Like, oh, actually, this wasn't as weird as we thought it'd be. But if for whatever reason you went to that wedding and then, like, uh, let's say the your new girlfriend that you're with, you're at one of her former boyfriend's weddings and she starts, like, bawling her eyes out, crying at the wedding. And it's like, okay, well, this seems a little awkward. You're not happy in the current relationship you're in? Why are you so upset about this marriage? Right? If you're Freddie Freeman, I know it's an emotional thing returning to Atlanta, but 
Uh, why does it hit you so hard to not be? You're now a part of the Dodgers. You're now one of us. We're trying to go win a World Series this year. Enough about the old team and whatever happened with the Braves. Move on. You're with us now. That's how I interpret the comments from Kershaw. And I don't know if he's speaking for the whole locker room. We also, as I always say, the written word is tough because you don't know tone. I don't know what words he emphasized or how he was saying it or how he appeared as he was saying it. But it certainly reads like somebody who was a little, uh, I don't know about angry, but maybe a little annoyed or maybe even a little jealous. Like, hey, you're on the Dodgers now. we got a pretty good team here. We're in first place. Why are you so worked up over no longer being in Atlanta? And it brings me back to the point I was making yesterday of you had every chance to go back to Atlanta, and you didn't. So I don't know if the reaction from Freeman over the weekend was kind of buyer's remorse. If it was him almost like feeling sorry for himself that, oh, man, I screwed this up. We screwed this up. Agent, myself, whoever. I could have still been here. I should still be here. But you should be pretty happy still at the Dodgers. You're back home in L.A. You're on a first-place team that's been one of the best teams in baseball for years. And you're making all sorts of money and also having a pretty good year. And I think that's also Kershaw's message. Like, I get it. You left the Braves. It was hard. Maybe you don't want to. But now you got to kind of move forward. You're with the Dodgers now. This is the new relationship. The old boyfriend is getting married. Right? Don't show up at the wedding and crying. That doesn't look very good in regards to the new relationship. You make us look like a second fiddle, like you're just settling for us. And by the way, we got a pretty good team here. And by the way, the new uh, boyfriends, uh, you got a pretty good catch. Time to move forward. Flip the page. Focus on uh, the new team you're with that's paying you all that money. But I found it interesting from Kershaw to at least address it. A lot of times these guys, especially when they're on the same team like that, right? that's a little passive-aggressive to make those comments to the media. I don't know if uh, something was said to Freddie uh, personally, but to kind of do your, your talking through the media like that. But obviously... Kershaw must have been frustrated to uh, offer up such a quote. But he did find it interesting. Not a lot of times uh, will players give you something juicy like that about a teammate or a situation like that. They'll take the high road. And Kershaw, it's not like he said anything too terrible. He didn't put down Freddie, but you can read between the lines of what he was getting at. We're not a second fiddle. We're your current team. They were your old team. Move past them. It was a great moment Friday, but now here we are. We're trying to win games. Now, of course, Freeman delivered what appeared to be the game-winning hit at the time at the top of the 10th. It did not affect his ability to perform on the field. He played just fine over this weekend in Atlanta. But I get it. You don't want to go on a date with somebody and have them talk about their ex-husband the whole time. It's like, all right, you're now out on a date with somebody else. Can we move forward here? I didn't come out to meet you at this restaurant to hear all about your past relationship. Get past it. Move on. And especially if they start breaking down and crying at the table, it's like, okay. I got to get out of here. This is not going to work out. For Freddie Freeman, I'm sure the first time it's an emotional return. But now, right, turn the page. Time that You're at the Dodgers. You're a Dodger now. You got to try to help them win a World Series. They're signing your checks. Don't worry about the Braves anymore. That door's closed. And in, in large part because of uh, the decisions made by your side of things as well this offseason. Now you got to move forward with your new team. When we come back, we do it around this time each and every day. Uh, it's time for Trent's Takes. We'll do it when we come back. It's more Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show.
It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. We'll get back to some quarterback talk later on. We were talking about um, Deshaun Watson earlier. I did just see this from Pro Football Talk that the first lawsuit against the Texans hints at at least 30 different women having their rights violated by Deshaun Watson, which leads to uh, the theory that maybe more lawsuits will be coming against uh, Deshaun. His hearing begins today with the NFL, so we'll see um, where things go at least on day one and how quickly the NFL gets to their decision on the punishment for Deshaun Watson after all of this. In the meantime, we do it around this time each and every day. We find out what's on the mind of the producer. It's time for Trent's Takes. What's on the mind of the Morrow Midday Show producer? Draft Luke Morrow. That's Panthers. right. It's time for Trent's Takes. The radio cowboy will be coming, and he's coming soon, folks. Luke, yesterday on uh, Trent's Takes, I gave a business proposition about night golf. Uh, having a you know par three course, 10, 12 holes, whatever you want to do, and make it fun. People can go out there from about 8 o'clock to whenever, 2 in the morning. Well, of course I wake up to this kind of news, because we all know that everybody in the world is listening to the Morrow Midday Show, and apparently at Top Golf's newest location in El Segundo, shout out Jim Rome, also includes an actual ten-hole golf course with lights for night golf. You can uh, you can even get an electric bike instead of golf carts to uh, ride around the course. Absolutely stole my idea, but hopefully this will across uh, Top Golf's around the nation. They will start adding this in because I mean I think that'd be cool if you want to hit a couple balls and go down to a ten-hole course at night i think that'd be pretty cool so good for top golf the uh, el segundo location not only that but yesterday during trends takes you're also talking about what would be great fights between mm. two athletes and then within minutes we got a story about adrian peterson and uh well LaShawn mccoy is that who it is Le'Veon bell uh, Le'Veon bell that's yep. right a different uh, washed-up running back. So, <laughs> yeah, so now this, this is two for two on ideas you had yesterday that became uh, came to fruition very quickly. So today you're going to have to uh, tell a story about me winning the lottery or something, and then hopefully that will transpire this afternoon as well. Well, I would actually – you know what's funny, Luke? Uh, I might be three for three on this because two weeks ago, remember I was talking about uh, potentially a fight between uh, John Jones and Stipe Miocic? Yeah. Well, Dana White said yesterday in his press conference that John Jones is ready to go and expects him to fight either Francis Ngannou, the heavyweight champion of the world, the baddest man on the planet, and it's not even close, or Stipe Miocic in Madison Square Garden or the Staples Center, now the Crypto.com Arena. Dana announced that yesterday, and I will say, Luke, as a casual UFC fan, I've been watching the UFC probably since UFC 220, and now we're at 276 this weekend. You know, there's a lot going on. Uh, Israel Adesanya is fighting. Uh, Michael Chandler, actually, excuse me, Max Holloway is fighting, uh, and Sugar Sean O'Malley is fighting. But this will be, and we've had a lot of great fights. Khabib versus Conor McGregor obviously was a massive one. This will be the biggest fight in UFC history. There's no doubt about it. This is the, probably will be the most anticipated fight in UFC history. John Jones, who he's going to have to take a big step up and wait because he does fight in a division lower than the heavyweights. So he's going to put on a ton of weight and try to go fight uh, one of these guys. John Jones has never lost. Let's make sure we know that. I believe he's 28, 29 and 0. A lot of knockouts, a lot of brutal fights. This will be the most brutal heavyweight fight we have ever seen in the UFC history. You can mark that down. And we just, uh, Dana also released, Conor McGregor's coming back either this year or early next year to fight. And I hope, Luke, I hope 
he fights Michael Chandler. I, I really do. If he fights Michael Chandler, personally, I think McGregor's going to get took. I think he's going to get knocked out. There's no doubt about it. He might go up and wait to fight Jorge Masvidal, but obviously, whenever Conor McGregor is on the card, it's a box office event. But John Jones versus Francis Ngannou will break all the records when it comes to pay-per-view buys. I guarantee it. What do you think uh, the former Staples Center is more excited about, having that fight or having the boxing <laughs> match with Adrian Peterson and whoever? Well, I think they're more confident that the UFC is going to sell out that event uh, at the Staples Center because there's no doubt in my mind. They, uh, MSG will sell out in minutes. Staples Center will sell out in minutes. And this might be, Luke, I know you don't watch the UFC a lot. This uh, might be the one you should watch. I would say to all the casual fans out there, that this is going to be the most anticipated ever. I am juiced up for this. You are selling me on it, so uh, I'll probably, I probably will. When the time comes, I probably will check it out. Yeah, Dana, give me a call. You know, I can be a you know a side promoter. I can hype up these fights, get the boys going. Yeah, let's get you there with Rogan. Uh, yeah, well, well, I mean, I don't want to get into that controversy sitting next to that gentleman, but that'd be an honor to uh, commentate or, you know, uh, do some promotion for the UFC. I absolutely love it. It's, it's some of the great... Uh, Great sports that we have, and also the fight card coming up this weekend. Incredibly excited for. Now, yesterday, Luke, around 5 p.m., I was uh, doing fan talk with the great and powerful Bobby Harton, and uh, I got a report from NBA Central that not only is Miami incredibly interested in Kyrie Irving, they are going to make a heavy push for none other than Mr. Kevin Durant. And, of course, around 6.15, 6.20, when I got home, Kyrie Irving announces that he will be opting into his contract and returning to the Brooklyn Nets, which obviously means Kevin Durant is not coming to the Miami Heat, at least for this year, and they're going to go one more year in Brooklyn. But, Luke, there was about there was an hour there from 5 to 6 where I was really pumped up. I, I was just thinking in my mind, keeping Kyle Lowry around Jimmy Butler, Kevin Durant, and Bam Adebayo see in the finals now it's not going to happen for at least one more year. But I do see, I will make a prediction, one big free agent marquee guy is going to come to the Miami Heat. I personally thought it was going to be John Wall. By the way, I absolutely love John Wall going to the Clippers. How much does he have left in the tank? That is still, uh, the jury's still out on that. But if Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, some of the best players in the NBA, are healthy, pairing him with John Wall, that's going to be tough for a lot of the teams in the West, like the Suns and the Mavs. You just have a new component coming in there to beat the Warriors. So that's going to be interesting. How do you feel about John Wall joining the Clippers, and do you think it will be a good fit? Yeah, I think it could be at this point in his career. Right? He doesn't have to be uh, the guy. He could come off the bench for him yeah. and it'd be a good fit. I love the idea that the, the Rockets paid him uh, what, $80 million over the past about 12 months to not play a single game in that time frame. Good business in the NBA. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think uh, – that's one of the better fits for him to wind up with the Clippers. And now the Clippers, yeah, they're intriguing because you get Kawhi back, you assume healthy this year. Paul George, hopefully healthy, get through a year. You throw in a John Wall. They got a pretty deep team there. They were a playoff team this year without Kawhi and Paul George for most of the year. So the Clippers should be interesting to see. And uh, in regards to Kyrie, as I said earlier, I think financially it made the most sense. And then also, I know Kyrie kind of does whatever he wants. But I think it'd be a bad look if you bailed on Durant after you led him yes. to Brooklyn and then just, you know, ran away and then Durant would leave and you totally blow up that organization. So Kyrie, I think financially, personally, even from a basketball perspective, probably as well, uh, I thought it was the wise move for him. So, yeah, him and John Wall, two big names making – I guess, big decisions yesterday in the NBA. Yeah, I like John Wall. I like the way he plays the game. His outside shooting's a problem. I mean, he can't really hit the, the three at a consistent rate, and you need a guy like that. Because I think Kawhi Leonard can hit the three okay. Paul George is good. 
But, I, I mean, who are you going to trust? You paid Luke Kennard $90 million, and he hasn't done anything. He's like a Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, coming off the bench, giving six points. What are we doing? Making, you know, cash and checks. Good for you, Luke Kennard, but the Clippers definitely <laughs> jumped the gun on him. So I feel like they need one more perimeter shooter at a uh, consistent level, and maybe they will get over the hump to beat the Warriors. Probably my pick again coming next year for the NBA Finals. I just can't bet against this Warriors team, especially if they continue to get better and better. Luke, a quick NFL question for you. You know I like looking at my odds, seeing what's going, seeing mm-hmm. if anything's changed. Do you find it interesting that the New England Patriots and the Miami Dolphins have the same odds equal right now to win the AFC East at plus 400? Personally, I believe just with the... We look at the two franchises, right? You take the Miami Dolphins and the Patriots. They still have Bill Belichick as the head coach, an improved quarterback coming off of, you know, year one to year two, Mac Jones. Haven't really made a lot of free agent moves. Probably needed another pass. Actually, excuse me, Devontae Parker coming from Miami to uh, to New England as another pass catcher for them. That will be a good fit. But right now, I think the Patriots probably should have a little bit better odds than the Miami Dolphins right now. I don't know what you think, Luke, but Mike McDaniel, obviously, we're, we're big Mike McDaniel guys. I love what Miami's doing, but I, maybe we're jumping the gun on a little bit to think that they are equal right now with the New England Patriots as far as winning the AFC East. Yeah, probably. We probably are jumping the gun, but at the same time, I also have concerns about the Patriots mm. uh, in trying to follow up what they did last year, especially the fact that Bill Belichick's going to be calling the offensive plays <laughs> and um, like Joe Judge is the quarterback coach. And they didn't really big in, bring in a big, impactful guy offensively to help out Mac Jones. So I don't know. But I would say in regards to like which team I trust more, I do trust the Patriots more because Belichick versus McDaniels. And even I like I do like Mac Jones more than Tua, certainly. So it's almost like the uh, expression, whatever it is, one in the hand is better than two in the bush, something along those lines. Like We already know the Patriots have some sort of track record. Obviously, Belichick is a great track record. Mac Jones made the playoffs in year one. The Dolphins, we've never seen Mike, uh, Mike McDaniel as a head coach. Two is still a big question. So I think those are the concerns. The Dolphins have a good roster. They made some good moves. But can this coach-quarterback combo, is this going to work in Miami? We just don't know yet. So I think a lot of people are still a little skeptical. Yeah, you know, I'm definitely – I'm. I, I think the jury's still out on Mac Jones. You know, I think he's got a couple more years to improve. They did, Like you said, they didn't do a lot for him. But I do believe that, like – I mean, they were running the ball a ton last year. So if you let Mac Jones, and I know Alabama and the New England Patriots, college football and the NFL is much different. The guy can throw the football, as we've seen. Now, maybe was it Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle and all those guys making him look incredible on the field? That's potentially, that could be the case. But I would say for the Patriots, especially if Bill Belichick's calling the offense, I know you got a great run game. Air that ball out a little bit. Let's go. Let's see if Matt can really do this because you got to throw the ball 30, 40 times a game when it comes to the playoffs if you want to have any chance against these other AFC teams. Like the, I mean, Buffalo put 49 points on them. How are you going to keep up running the ball 40, 50 times a game when Josh Allen's going out there throwing five touchdowns? Air the ball out. Let's go. What are we doing? Yeah, that's a concern with New England. You look at those Bills games specifically. I mean, when they beat Buffalo, right, Mac Jones threw it, what, like four times in Buffalo on yeah. that, that game. Uh, I don't know how much trust they had. And then they played the Bills two more times after that, and the Bills, I don't think, punted once in either of those two games. The Patriots are so defensively driven because that's, that's Belichick's M.O., but in today's football, it is so hard to be a defensive-led team and, uh, and win big. The Patriots had a good defense last year, but when it came to trying to slow down the Bills, I mean, they couldn't do a thing against Buffalo. And I don't know if Mac Jones can keep up 
on the offensive side. They needed, like, I know you're never going to find a guy like Randy Moss, but they needed a Randy Moss-type trade where you look at a big guy like a Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, one of these big names, and there's still guys like Odell and Julio yeah. still out there that can be productive for your team. Will Fuller, I know he's had a ton of injury issues. They need one more piece, just one more piece, and we see that in the NFL all the time. Uh, for the Bills last year, I mean, catching the football, and I, and I really focus on, for the NFL, the pass catchers. I think that's one of the more important things in the game because if you pair good pass catchers with a great quarterback like Patrick Mahomes, what happens? You win a Super Bowl. Like, mm-hmm. you know, with Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill and everything. With the Bills, they have Stephon Diggs, Dawson Knox, you know, playing tight end. Gabriel Davis, who showed out, you know, because Stephon Diggs was getting double teamed, they also need one more piece. And I know they're the Super Bowl favorites right now, and their defense looks very good. They need a better running game, and they need another piece. And I feel the same way for the Patriots. Their running game's fine, but they need one more weapon. Devontae Parker, he's good. I mean, yeah. granted for him, we never saw him with a good quarterback in Miami. So if he has a good quarterback, a decent one in Mac Jones, what would the production be like? But he's also been in the league for quite some time. So how, you know, it's kind of like Sammy Watkins going to the Packers. Can they find, Can the Packers finally unlock Sammy Watkins? But I think the Bills and the Patriots in that division both need an extra weapon. Because Miami right now, when you look at that, those pass catchers, Luke, Jalen Waddell and Tyree Killer are two of the fastest guys in the NFL. you got Mike Gusecki, a couple other guys catching balls for you. It's going to look pretty good for them. Yeah, well, I, I do agree with you. I mean, you go back and you look at the, the best teams of football um, last year. They all had that star player, even at least just one, all right? Like, I mean, it's Stephon Diggs, uh, Kansas City, obviously, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelly. I mean, t- take your choice. You look at the Super Bowl, though, uh, Cooper Cup, even OBJ, Jamar Chase on the other side. I'm not even talking about quarterbacks, just um, uh, skilled players, as we call them. The number one seed, Green Bay, had Devontae Adams. Tennessee had A.J. Brown, had a pretty good year. And then, obviously, Derrick Henry as well were the two one seeds. Even San Francisco, Right, getting to the MC title game, they had Debo Samuel. And my point being, you could run through all these teams last year that won their divisions and see the big star that they had. Uh, who's the Patriots star? You know, exactly. Like, who's the guy that you point to? In New Jacoby England? Myers. Yeah. Like you know, like is it Damian Harris in the backfield? Uh, I, they they brought in Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith, two great tight ends. I, I understand what they were trying to do with the Rob Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez type offense, but you don't have Tom Brady throwing them the football, so it's going to be a little different if you try to run that similar offense. And oh, by the way, the NFL game has changed, so you know you kind of have to adapt relatively quickly but bill belichick obviously the greatest coach of all time so i feel like well a lot of people are speculating about it and it's good because he really hasn't coached the offense before i feel like the guy might be able to figure it out at some point yeah no it's true right if anybody could do it it'd be yeah. belichick he deserves the benefit of the doubt and i'm never going to be one i don't care what happens the rest of the way i'm never going to be i hear a lot of belichick slander and giving all the credit to brady right it's ridiculous um belichick is an incredible coach i mean go back at least he's an incredible uh, defensive coach, if nothing else. I mean, think back to when he was the defensive coordinator of the Giants. They shut down the the K offense of the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Jim Kelly, right? All those Hall of Famers, Jim Kelly and, and Andre Reid. And then when he came to the Patriots, they shut down the greatest show on turf in the Super Bowl. And then Sean McVay and that offense, they held to, what, three points in that Super Bowl. I mean, say what you will about Belichick. Uh, the guy is the greatest defensive coach we've ever had and therefore has been the best or most successful head coach. But my one concern, I will say this, though, in regards to the Patriots, we saw this when the Patriots went through that down period where they were not winning Super Bowls. They won the three early. Then they went like a decade without winning a Super Bowl. And then they won three more before Brady left. And during that period, I remember having the opinion at the time, so this isn't just playing armchair quarterback, but I thought at the time Belichick's like ego was almost getting the better of him in that he let a bunch of guys go on defense. That's when they almost cleaned house. And they got rid of um, – 
uh, uh, Vrabel, and they got rid of Brewski, and they got rid of um, uh, Richard Seymour, and they got rid of all these guys on defense. Because if you go back, right, the Patriots, when they won those first three Super Bowls, the defense was so good. Uh, Brady was coming into his own, but the defense was really good for New England back in the first decade of the 2000s. And then you had Charlie Weiss leave, and you had Eric Mangini leave, and originally um, he didn't replace those guys. And Bill O'Brien eventually became the offensive coordinator, but Belichick was kind of running the offense at the time. And all this is to say, I thought at the time, Belichick had the feeling like, "Ah, I could just do it all on my own. I don't need these guys on defense. I don't even need an offensive coordinator. I just won three Super Bowls. Like, I know what I'm doing. And that was the kind of the time frame when the Patriots under Brady and Belichick had, like, their least amount of success. Uh, and so that would be my concern now, that Belichick is the greatest coach we've ever had. But he has, like, nobody on his coaching staff. His son is the defensive coordinator. He's going to be, like, the offensive coordinator. His offensive coaches are Patricia and Joe Judge, who have not worked on offense before. Uh, they have no stars on offense. It's just this feeling of, like, yeah, we could almost like we can win with whatever. Because we're the Patriots. Yeah. It, it, does, it does feel that way. It, it definitely does feel that way. Yeah, so that's my concern. No, I I definitely agree with you there, Luke. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, question marks around Bill Belichick and uh, the way. Do you think that with a lot of these like coaches like Sean McVay and you, you know Mike McDaniel, you name them, the young coaches. I mean, they're smart guys and they're kind of figuring out new ways to run NFL teams and and you know the new offenses and new defenses that are bring. You think that's catching up with Bill a little bit? I just think it's the the, the way of the game that if you look at all the defensive coaches. Um, Sean McDermott is the one outlier in Buffalo, but I think because he did a really good job of bringing in Brian Dable to run the offense. And then they also, he, McDermott was wise enough that they drafted Josh Allen, who's their big star. But otherwise, you look at the other defensive coaches, like Tomlin's great, but the Steelers have not had a lot of success into the playoffs in recent years. Uh, Pete Carroll and the Seahawks haven't done enough in recent years, and we believe they've held back Russell Wilson. Mike Zimmer was a defensive coach in my Minnesota Vikings. They always underachieved. The sport has just moved so in such a direction offensively that it makes it harder on these defensive guys. And so that's the point that I continue to, to drive home, that for Belichick, I feel like he's kind of ignoring the offense, not getting any stars, not bringing in an offensive coordinator. For his young quarterback, by the way, it's not like Tom Brady's still there. you got a guy in his second year, and you're not giving him a good quarterback coach or offensive coordinator. Um, I feel like the sport just has become so offensive that it makes things more challenging for these defensive coaches. Vic Fangio didn't work in Denver, so on and so forth. And so for Belichick, I think that's been the biggest issue, that the, the game is kind of moving away from, from him. Uh, can he adapt or keep up? He's always been such a great adapter. But in this sense, I don't know. He hasn't gone all in on offense like I think you should. Anyways, we'll take your calls on uh, Patriots Hotline here this afternoon. Talking plenty about New England. When we come back, though, wrap up hour two. We got to get to the ACC schedule. Also, uh, Don Staley. There's a documentary coming out, the next parts of a documentary that ESPN's doing that involves uh, Don Staley. We'll get to that coming up as well, and plenty more. It's the More Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. 
I just saw this come up. We were talking earlier this hour about Freddie Freeman and his return to Atlanta and the comments from Clayton Kershaw. The Braves placed uh, Kenley Jansen on the IL, the injured list, because of a irregular heartbeat. So that's always concerning when you hear something involving the heart like that. It's not a normal like arm issue for a pitcher or a knee or whatever it may be, back soreness or something, back spasms. He's dealing with uh, a regular heartbeat. Now, I'm no sort of doctor, but you know, guys have had to uh, retire in, in the past because of similar issues like this, although this is something that he's been dealing with before and even had a procedure about four years ago. So you know, the heart issues is something that Jansen's always been uh, dealing with throughout his career. But that's always concerning when you hear about that. He, uh, in 2011, he dealt with a regular heartbeat during that season and uh, had to go to the hospital and end up missing over a month. So we'll see how things go for the Braves' new closer this year in Kenley Jansen as uh, evidently he's been dealing with some heart issues throughout his career and right now dealing with a regular heartbeat. Anything with the heart is obviously always very scary or concerning or worrisome. So that's the latest there. We'll see how long Jansen's out for the Braves. I mean, the good news from just simply a baseball perspective is that you do have the All-Star break coming up in about two weeks. So that gives you like a week of no games that you could buy some time if he's going to be out for a little while. But first and foremost, of course, is the health of Jansen. Make sure he's okay before he can return to the field. That's the latest for Jansen and the Braves. Coming up, the ACC announces their new football schedule starting next year. And I think they made the right call. We'll get to that next. Hour three after this. It's the Moore Midday Show on ESPN Radio. This is the Morrow Midday Show. But wait, there's more. On ESPN Radio. of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Coming up, the ACC has a new schedule starting next year. I like it. I think it's a good idea. Plus, we'll get back to our quarterback conversation. Which divisions in the NFL are the best quarterbacks? What could somebody like a Baker Mayfield mean for the Panthers? And a whole lot more here in the final hour. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch it on the man search ESPN Radio Charleston. However, you listen to your podcasts. And the podcast is also available online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Just click on our show page and find the podcast there. You can also leave a comment for the show at charlestonsportsradio.com by clicking on our show page. You can get to us on Twitter at Morrow Middays. You can always text the show, 843-608-1734. Or you can give us a call to join the conversation as well, 843 721 9500. Hey, don't forget, there's a blood drive going on tomorrow at Cruz Subaru from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. tomorrow. All donors will receive a $35 gift card for service, parts, accessories at Cruz Subaru. You can head over to redcrossblood.org, use the sponsor code CRUISE to make your appointment. 
Uh, Walk-ins are accepted. Appointments are preferred. But a Red Cross blood drive going on tomorrow at Cruz Subaru from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Go give blood. Help somebody out. Help save lives. Plus, you get a $35 gift card. And then how about this? When you give blood at Cruz Subaru Wednesday, you also get a free pint of frozen custard at Culver's. How about that? I think Culver's, I've always said Arby's is the most underrated fast food chain. I would also put Culver's up there. I like Culver's. Oh, yeah. Culver's is very good. Yeah. Big Burgers Culver's are great. Guy. The cheese curds are nice. Yes. The custard's great. I don't know if I've ever had custard. I don't remember, like, act, mm. act, actively having custard. Are you a custard guy? I mean, yeah, I would say I don't have it enough. That's the thing. There was this place up north that I used to go, uh, Rita's. You know about Rita's? Of yeah, course. I know they have a couple around here, and yeah. they did great custard. Uh, but you had to pair it with the other flavors as well because it only works, like, if you're doing, like, blue raspberry and custard, it tastes gross. But if you're doing, like, vanilla custard, chocolate uh-huh. custard, very good. Do you do frozen yogurt at all? I try to get some fro. I'm not a big ice cream guy. I, I Oh my goodness. Well, like I you know, I'm not a big like cookies and cream or anything. You know what I do? I go to the store and I get the gelato. And I get the oh. a raspberry cheesecake gelato and I get a, a Madagascar vanilla bean gelato. Oh. And that's and that's what I do for my desserts. All right. That's fair. Yeah, you should like yeah. gelato. Yeah, I could get along. <laughs> I could get along with that. I can't eat ice cream. Um so as somebody who can't have it to hear somebody else who chooses not to have it. Oh. Such an offense. I mean, I won't pass up a froyo opportunity if it, if it comes, froyo. but I'm not I'm not you know sitting here, Luke, and saying you know when I get off today, I'm gonna go to the froyo spot and get me a nice big old tub of froyo. Well, that's where you and I differ. <laughs> I'll daydream about a nice froyo. I fill it up with all the different candy. Oh, I love a good frozen yogurt. Uh, so how would you power rank ice cream, frozen yogurt, custard? Oh, oh, good one. Uh, I would say, can we throw gelato in there? Sure. I imagine that's number one. Gelato's number yes. one, and then I'd probably go froyo, custard. No, actually, ice cream, then custard. Oh, I was yeah. going to say, that would be a big upset. They're all good, though. That, that's the thing. Like, you can't really go wrong. There's just some flavors, but, like, the classic flavors of normal ice cream, I can't get behind. I don't, I don't know. It just doesn't do it for me. Hmm. Interesting. I'm going to have to try custard. I don't know if custard, I can't have ice cream. It doesn't, I'm not lactose intolerant, but ice cream's the one thing that just it doesn't work with me. How about anybody send us over some custard, please? Yeah. We're here for about another hour. That's right. Go donate blood. We'll take your free pint of frozen <laughs> custard at Culver's tomorrow at Crew Subaru. We'll be on the air. Otherwise, I'd go, I'd go do it at Crew Subaru tomorrow, 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. in North Charleston. So you donate blood, you get a $35 gift card, and you get a free pint of frozen custard at Culver's. That you will bring to the radio station. That's right. Thank you. Absolutely, I'm gonna have to try some some uh, some custard, and because uh, I don't, I'm sure I've had it in my life. I just don't remember it. I love a good frozen yogurt, though. I'll tell you that much. Custard's very smooth. I will say, very smooth. It's okay. a different texture. I did look it up. It's supposed to be healthier, a lot healthier than ice cream. Eh. So, supposed to be. So uh, there's a good alternative for you. Go to Culver's, get some custard instead. It's like the balsamic vinegar Coke. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, we all know, right? The things that are supposed to be better for you don't actually taste as good. So, you know, with that said, go go get some custard. But I don't know if it holds a candle to ice cream. I'll have to do a taste test. That'll be our next taste test. We'll get some custard in here. We'll get custard. We'll get frozen yogurt. We'll get ice cream. We'll get gelato. We'll do a full power ranking. I can get behind yeah, that. That'd be a good day. Maybe we'll do that on a nice hot summer day. Hey, tonight they're um, coming out the third and fourth parts of a documentary. You may have saw the first two parts. ESPN's putting, uh, they put together a documentary, and it's called 37 Words, and um, it's about um, 
you know, Title IX and the impact with women's athletics. Uh, this is the 50th anniversary of Title IX. So Dawn Staley, I guess, is heavily involved in uh, the parts that are coming out tonight, parts three and four, airing tonight starting at 8 p.m. on ESPN and ESPN+. Plus. And here's the trailer uh, involving Dawn Staley to promote this documentary tonight that I guess uh, she uh, plays a big part in uh, tonight. So if you're a Gamecock fan, check it out, 8 p.m. on ESPN. Here's a snippet of Dawn Staley in this documentary that will be airing tonight. Here's what you need to do. You need to start prioritizing um, basketball. That's what you need to do. The intensity is raising, and we fight for wins. That's what we do, okay? Because we know the feeling of losing. Young people in college are in the most transformational years of their lives. I meet young people where they are and I try to take them where they want to go. I've been so fortunate to be able to do the things that come naturally to me. What does it feel like to participate in sports? It is what I'm supposed to be doing. It's like second skin. Because I was able to express myself through my play. I was singularly focused on how basketball made me feel that all the other stuff around it really didn't matter. I have never been without basketball. I felt like it was always readily available to me. And I always have been given the tools that I needed to be successful at the right time. Don Staley as part of the documentary, 37 Words. The first two parts aired last Tuesday. The final two parts will air tonight at 8 p.m. on ESPN. So check it out. 37 words about Title IX, as it's the 50th anniversary of Title IX, which you know really changed everything for women's athletics. And Dawn Staley uh, is uh, very much involved in the part of the docu-series that airs tonight. So if you're a Gamecock fan, if you're a basketball fan, if you're a college sports fan, whatever, if you're a history, sports history fan, whatever it may be, uh, check it out tonight. 37 words, including uh, Dawn Staley tonight on ESPN. Hey, the ACC announced their new schedule that's going to take place next year. And they're going with a 3-5-5 structure. They're getting rid of divisions. We're just going to have the ACC. They're going to take the two best teams in the ACC title game, something I've been clamoring for for years. It never made any sense to have divisions and take the two division winners. We're just going to have the two best teams in the conference championship, and they're going to go 3-5-5, which means you have three opponents that you play every year, and then you'll play five different ones, and then the next year you'll play the other five. You'll rotate those other ten teams. This is another thing I've been clamoring for for years that if you go to let's say Clemson and you spend all four years at Clemson you should play in every stadium of the conference it makes no sense that Alabama comes to Columbia once every 12 years right or they go to Florida once every 12 years whatever it is in the SEC makes no sense you could go to a school and uh, you graduate years later you meet somebody oh you played football at Alabama what was it like playing at Florida I don't know we never did in my four years it makes no sense the scheduling so I like this. I like number one, you get rid of divisions starting next year. And number two, three, five, five. I, you know, personally, I don't know if you need three set opponents every year, but that's fine because still with this structure, it allows you to play uh, every team twice in a four-year window. Therefore, home once on the road once in those four years. Obviously, not everybody's going to stay at their school 
for four years, but theoretically speaking, your college career theoretically is four years. Over that time, you will play every team in the ACC, and you will play in every stadium in the ACC. So I like it. In regards to Clemson, the three teams that are set on their schedule are the three that I heard thrown around when this conversation began. Most people thought these would be the three, but it's Florida State, it's Georgia Tech, it's NC State. Intriguing. Those are the three teams Clemson will face every year. I think you could do a lot harder than those three. Now, Florida State, if they ever get back to where they once were, that becomes a tougher game. Florida State right now, not all that challenging to have to face them every year. To face Georgia Tech every year, right? Same idea. If they get back to maybe where they were uh, a decade ago or even go back to 30 years ago, okay, that could be a little more challenging. Right now, I mean, they haven't won more than three games the last three years. That's a team that, yeah, you'd like to have on the schedule every year. Then you get to NC State's the third one. NC State's kind of the opposite. That Right now, NC State is playing at their pinnacle um, under this, uh, this, ten, this, um, this era, right? this, uh, under this coaching staff. But historically, eh, you know, maybe not the toughest matchup to have to endure in the ACC. But for Clemson, moving forward starting next year, they'll face Florida State, Georgia Tech, NC State every year. I had given you my three originally. I think just for – I'm not a Clemson fan. I don't have some sort of emotional connection to another school in the conference or some sort of quasi-rivalry. For me, most interesting, like I would love to see them play Miami every year. Miami is always one of the more interesting brands in the conference, and I do think under Mario Cristobal they'll become one of the better teams. I think that would be great for the ACC to have Clemson and Miami face one another every year moving forward. I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, just in the short term. It would be great if they did face Tony Elliott and Virginia every year, but I don't think I'd make them uh, a specific candidate. I do like NC State. You know, they're, they're used to playing in the same division. NC State uh, is, uh, to me, probably the biggest challenger this year to Clemson, in, at, at least in that division. And there's been some sort of rivalry that has been birthed over the years between those two as well. And then Florida State, too, right? You have the, those are, Clemson and Florida State are the two that have dominated the ACC. So those are solid ones as well. I just wish, selfishly, I would love to see Miami and Clemson year after year as long as Mario Cristobal is there. But we will get that matchup now more often with this new change. Divisions have long been pointless in these conferences, and so I'm glad we're doing away with said divisions. I also think it will help Clemson that if you get to the ACC title game and you win the conference, it boosts your resume, that you beat the second-best team, truly the second-best team in the ACC, whether that's NC State Wake Forest, Pittsburgh, Miami, whoever it may be, instead of just facing, say, a 6-6 six and six team that happened to win the Coastal because the Coastal always is so topsy-turvy and unpredictable and chaotic. They're not always one of the best teams in the conference. So I do think that helps Clemson, that whoever wins the ACC will have another – they'll have a better win on their resume from that ACC title game. I would also say that when you go back and you look – the reason why I never liked divisions, uh, there's a few reasons, but one of the reasons is um, because when you go back and you look at these conferences, the conferences have typically been dominated by the same division. In the SEC, uh, the West has been much better than the East. In the Big Ten, you have Ohio State and, and Michigan, and the, you know, they, their division's a lot better than the other one with uh, Minnesota and Iowa and all those other schools. And in the ACC, largely because of Clemson, but you know their division has been better, and the Coastal has been that... We call it Coastal Chaos. Every year you don't know who's going to be good. None of those teams you can rely on, and a different team has won the Coastal every year for like a decade. It's like the NFC East, 
none of those teams are predictable. You have no idea who's going to be good year after year. They're all very inconsistent. But the same divisions keep dominating. So I think, A, it's better to kind of spread the wealth. But also, B, I would say that we've seen the champions oftentimes do come from tough divisions. Right, Alabama has played probably in the best division in college football, and they've been the best team. Ohio State comes from the better division in the Big Ten, and they've been the best team in the Big Ten. And when you look at the NFL, I made this case last year, that the two teams that reached the Super Bowl in the NFL were from the two best divisions in football, the Rams and the Bengals. And the two teams that were the most disappointing in the playoffs last year, Titans and the Packers, came from the easiest divisions. And I think there's something to be said for having to deal with those tests throughout the regular season. The Avalanche just won the Stanley Cup. People believe uh, you know, the West was, was better this year with the Avalanche. The Warriors won uh, the NBA Finals. I think you can make an argument that between the Phoenix Suns who had the best record and then even just the, the Mavs. I mean, the Warriors were a four seed. Uh, the West was probably more challenging than a lot of teams in the East. And so by doing this, you open up the field more to uh, these other teams. You make it more of a level playing field than the teams that are in a division that's harder than the other. The other side doesn't necessarily go through those same tests. And so it's good for crowning a real champion. It's good for getting these teams prepared. It's good for scheduling purposes. I'm all for it. I like it. Get rid of divisions. Let's make sure you're playing these different teams every couple of years so you face everybody in your conference. I have no. I don't see anything you can really complain about in all this. I think it's good. And for Clemson moving forward, they'll face the same three teams starting next year. It'll be Florida State, Georgia Tech, and NC State. Coming up, which uh, conferences, or I should say, which divisions in the NFL have the best group of quarterbacks this year? We'll get to that next. It's more Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. It's the Morrow Midday Show at Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Coming up, what are the best divisions for quarterbacks in the NFL this year? We'll rank them in just a moment here on the Morrow Midday Show. Uh, I um, I feel pretty good about some of these. I think some are pretty obvious. Other ones, not so sure. So, Trent, I'm going to need your input here. But Ooh, lovely. As I ranked the uh, top divisions in the NFL for, for quarterbacks, I think number one, right, is obvious. I think everybody would agree it's the AFC West. And it's the one division that has four potentially really good quarterbacks between Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, Derek Carr, Justin Herbert. If Carr is the worst quarterback you have, you're doing pretty good. In fact, it may be the best division of quarterbacks we've ever had. We did that exercise on the show previously. Number two, I would say the AFC North. Because you have Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, Deshaun Watson is in the division. Is he going to play this year? I don't know. And then Mitch Trubisky or Kenny Pickett as your worst quarterback, not terrible. Maybe Kenny Pickett develops into something nice. But the AFC North has three high-end quarterbacks at minimum. 
Third best division for quarterbacks, I put NFC West. Matt Stafford, Kyler Murray, and then Jimmy Garoppolo or Drew Locke. It's not a strong finish. Garoppolo's good enough to, you know, get you to um, the NFC title game at least. But the NFC West with Matt Stafford and Kyler Murray, you get two good names, at least two. Garoppolo's solid. Geno Smith, Drew Locke kind of brings you down. I put him at third. Don't feel great about it. But then I was thinking about the other options. Because fourth, I would say the NFC North. You have Aaron Rodgers, and you have Kirk Cousins, who um, probably most people are out on, but statistically has been a pretty good quarterback. And then you look at the third quarterback, Jared Goff, has at least been to a Super Bowl as your third best quarterback. Justin Fields, I don't expect much from him this year. Maybe he develops into somebody. And that's your worst quarterback you have. Maybe it's more based off of potential for the North, but I put the NFC North at number four because as we continue on, I think you'll see that a lot of these divisions are a little more uh, up in the air or maybe unpredictable. Fifth, I go with the NFC East, led by Dak Prescott. Then we could debate who may be the second-best quarterback is it Jalen Hurts. You have Carson Wentz in there. And I may be biased towards Daniel Jones, but I've always been a little bit of a Daniel Jones guy. Maybe he'll fully put things together this year at Brian Dable. Sixth, for best quarterbacks in the division i go afc south and in the afc south i'm not too big on really any of these guys i think ryan Tannehill. i don't know if i could even call him overrated but i'm not too high on Tannehill. he's been carried by derrick henry matt ryan at this point in his career is 38 years old he hasn't been great the last couple years trevor lawrence may turn into a great quarterback but let's call it what it is. he was one of the five worst quarterbacks in the league last year And Davis Mills was the best of the rookie quarterbacks, but there really aren't high hopes for Davis Mills with the Texans. Uh, We'll see if he develops into anything of of substance. The AFC South, I put at number six. And then at number seven, I have the NFC South, which may sound like uh, blasphemy with Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time. How can you put him at seven? But the rest of the quarterbacks, to me, are so poor. Jameis Winston's your second-best quarterback. And then you get to Sam Darnold and Marcus Mariota, which may be the worst combination of a three and four option in the league. But that means that I put the AFC East last. Now, I'll be honest with you. I put this list together earlier, and I just looked back at it as we were getting ready to do this, and I thought, well, I had the AFC East last. So maybe I would adjust that. But when I first thought about this earlier today, I thought the AFC East was the division with the worst quarterbacks. Obviously, you have Josh Allen, who may be the MVP this year. But then you have Mac Jones, who I know he went to the playoffs as a rookie last year, but seems to have already hit his ceiling. Maybe more of a game manager than a game changer. You have Tua, who I've never been sold on, and I don't know if he'll even have the starting job by the end of the year. And you have Zach Wilson, who I don't think is that great. So as good as Josh Allen is, I think he's being brought down by the other quarterbacks. I don't know if there's even a number two quarterback in that division. Similar to the NFC South, I don't know if there's a number two quarterback in that division either. I'm not that high on Jameis Winston. But at least you have Tom Brady. We're comparing Tom Brady to Josh Allen. And as good as Josh Allen is, Tom Brady is the greatest of all time. So I guess that's my thought process to put the NFC South ahead of the AFC East. I think the AFC East may be the worst division of quarterbacks. That's how I would order them. AFC West, I think, is clearly one. Then AFC North, NFC West, NFC North, NFC East, AFC South, NFC South. Bad quarterback playing the South. And then the AFC East is the worst. Now, Trent, I then turn to you. 
Would you agree, AFC West, best division of quarterbacks in the league this year? Oh, not even close. Not even close. I mean, just go down the list. Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Derek Carr, Justin Herbert. Right then and there, that's, I mean, top 10 quarterbacks. There's probably at least three of them are in the top 10 in the NFL right now. So I would agree 100%. It's not even close. Yes, I agree. I think that's the easiest part. I think everybody's list starts with them. I also feel pretty good about number two, the AFC North. Lamar, Burrow, let's count Deshaun Watson, and then whoever in Pittsburgh, would you say – AFC North has the second best. Yeah, I, I think I would agree just because of how impressive Joe Burrow was last year, and we've kind of seen that he's a top-five guy in the NFL. Lamar Jackson, obviously, I, I love Lamar Jackson. I think he's a great quarterback, MVP. Deshaun Watson, even though he probably won't be playing for at least a year, probably a couple years, you can still count him in this, and when he is playing, he's a top-ten quarterback. And then Mitch Trubisky, you know, the guy, I mean, he's been to playoffs before. That's sure. a good sign. So, yeah. I mean, it's close between the NFC West and the AFC north now i mean if jimmy garoppolo was the starting quarterback for the 49ers would you put the nfc west in the second position because right now it's got to be trey lance right are you are you looking at it as trey lance's starting quarterback no i even included garoppolo okay okay because the way i look at it is if i were to order them let's say just take the top three stafford kyler murray jimmy garoppolo versus joe burrow lamar jackson deshaun watson yeah that's and now yeah that makes sense now that makes sense but skipping ahead, so does that mean you would put NFC West third? I would put a, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah not even I close, think. not, not okay. even close with Kyler Murray and Matt Stafford, just them alone. And I know that kind of the jury's out on Kyler Murray. I still think he's a very good quarterback, and he can make plays. Obviously, we saw it; he's got good numbers. Can't really finish in the playoffs. The body language is an a, you know an issue, no yeah. doubt about it. But I do think he's a very good quarterback. All right, so we're on the same page through the first three. Yeah. Then maybe I don't know. Maybe this is where we differ. I went NFC North fourth. Because of Rodgers, of course. Kirk Cousins is not a bad two option. And then you got Jared Goff, three, who went to a Super Bowl. And eh, Justin Fields maybe is promising as the worst quarterback in the division. Yeah. I put the NFC North as the fourth best division for quarterbacks. Would you put the NFC North fourth? Yeah, I mean, just solely because of AR-12. I mean, right right then and there, that's when you put them as the fourth best. Kirk Cousins, like you said, the numbers are there. The winning percentage isn't there, but the yeah. numbers are there. He is a decent starting quarterback in the NFL, richer than everybody, but still a decent starting quarterback. And Jared Goff, like you mentioned, has been to a Super Bowl. He's not going to look great with the Detroit Lions. He didn't look great when the uh, Rams tenure was kind of ending, no doubt about it. Now, was that Sean McVay and him kind of having a little rift? Who knows? But, yeah, I I think I would agree with you because if I look at the NFC East, it's like Dak Prescott's carrying your, you know, carrying the weight. Carson Wentz, jury's out on him. We know what's going on with Carson Wentz. And just because Aaron Rodgers is in there, I would say that they're the fourth. So you mentioned the NFC East. I put them next. Yeah. So the four divisions we have left, AFC East, NFC and AFC South, NFC East. So the two East divisions, the two South divisions. Out of those four, I said the NFC East has the best group of quarterbacks would you agree or disagree? I would agree. I would okay. agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, I mean, just you know, just list out the quarterbacks, right? The AFC South: Davis Mills, Matt Ryan, uh, Trevor Lawrence, and Ryan Tannehill versus Dak Prescott, Jalen Hurts, Carson Wentz, and Daniel Jones. Your guy. Yeah, I'd probably put right now the NFC East above those guys. All right, so now we're down to three divisions. Let's reverse engineer this: mm. AFC East, AFC South, NFC South. Let's jump to the back of the list of those three. Which division do you think has the worst quarterbacks in the NFL? 
I would say I disagree with you. I, I would say that the NFC South has the worst in the uh, in the NFL just because, I mean, yes, Tom Brady is there, and I know it's Josh Allen versus Tom Brady, but when you look at the other starting quarterbacks, Jameis Winston, we know what Jameis is. He threw 30 interceptions in a singular season. Sam Darnold, are you kidding me? Who else? It's going to be Matt Corral? Yeah, no thanks. Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter, get out of here. No way they're going to win any kind of games. That's why I would put them as the uh, worst division. And I'm big Josh Allen guy. I've kind of skewed a little bit. I'm starting to believe in Tua just a tad. So I would put the NFC South as the worst in uh, in football right now. We'll circle back to that in a moment because that's part of this whole exercise. But that takes me to my final question. With that said, if you think the AFC East is better than the NFC South, and hopefully those listening know their divisions well so they can keep <laughs> up with all this, the last question then is to figure out the seven and the six spots. Is the AFC East better than the AFC South or – is the East the second-worst division for quarterbacks? I would say the AFC South is worse than the AFC mm. East right now. It may just be I believe in a couple of the young guys in the AFC East more than I believe in Davis Dougie Mills, more than I believe in Trevor Lawrence, and more than I believe in Ryan Tannehill. And Matt Ryan, I understand that you know he's one of the greater quarterbacks we've had in the last, what, 15, 20 years. He's an MVP. He's also 38, 39 years old in a system where they run the ball a ton and also that he doesn't have any pass catchers that are in, have any credibility whatsoever. Last year, obviously, he had Kyle Pitts, Cordell Patterson. Year before that, Julio kind of on the back end, but you had Calvin Ridley catching balls for you. That makes the post route that uh, Matt Ryan loves to throw off the play action look absolutely beautiful. So I would say the AFC East is a little bit better than the AFC South right now. I just think that because of how good Josh Allen is. Yeah. Like, when you look at Josh Allen, obviously, he's the odds-on favorite to win the MVP. It's not even close. And the way he's going to be running the ball as well. And, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a huge Tua hater. And I'm also, I've been hating on Zach Wilson a lot. But I'm, start, I'm starting to come around for Zach Wilson a little bit. I think he has an improved year, too. Uh, there's definitely more potential in the AFC East. I do agree with you with those three quarterbacks. And they're so young, Jones, Tua, and uh, Zach Wilson, that it could turn into a pretty good division. We agreed on the first five. Some disagreements at the bottom of the list, uh, including Trent would put the NFC South last. I had them second to last. But that takes me to my next point in that as we wait on this whole Deshaun Watson uh, saga and the punishment with his hearing beginning today, I made the case earlier, we played the clip from Mike Tannenbaum, that if you do get a year suspension, if Deshaun's out for the full year, do you go back with Baker, if you're Cleveland, and try to make things work? And if you do, that means Baker would no longer be available for a team like the Panthers. Now, I don't know how great of an upgrade Baker would be to Carolina over Sam Darnold. I do think it'd be an upgrade. How large? I don't know. We would have to find out. But if you go back and you look, last year, look at the NFL in the standings. You could see usually a difference between the top two teams and the bottom two teams, and it was in quarterbacks. And if we go division by division, in the AFC East, the Dolphins and the Jets were the two worst teams. I think they had the two worst quarterbacks. AFC North, a little bit different. The Ravens were so beat up, including Lamar Jackson. And the Browns, um, Baker Mayfield was injured last year. So they had the two unhealthy quarterbacks. They finished in the bottom of the division. In the AFC South, Texans-Jaguars right, had two rookie quarterbacks. They finished in the bottom of the division. AFC West, the Broncos, with Drew Locke, did have the worst quarterback. They finished in last. This may be the one outlier in that the Chargers finished third instead of the Raiders. I think Justin Herbert's a better quarterback than Carr. Then if you go to the NFC, the Giants and the Washington football team, when they were starting Taylor Heineke, were the two worst teams in the East last year, had the two worst quarterbacks. In the NFC North, Justin Fields, Jared Goff, compared to Cousins and Rodgers, right? those were the bottom two teams. NFC South, Falcons, Panthers, uh, neither got good quarterback play, the two worst teams in the South. And in the NFC West, um, the Seahawks, Russell Wilson was injured. 
And the 49ers, they finish in third. I do think Kyler Murray is better than Jimmy Garoppolo. But also, the Niners were in third place despite winning 10 games. So you almost can't count them. But the point being, when you look at the teams that finish in the bottom half of the division, they usually have the bottom two quarterbacks. And then the top two quarterbacks usually finish in the top half of the division. And if I look at the NFC South with Carolina, and that division that is so bad in quarterback play, if you get a Baker Mayfield, could he be the second-best quarterback in the NFC South? Could he play better in Carolina this year than Jameis Winston in New Orleans? And if he does, could that be enough to be a top-two team in a weak NFC and somehow get a wild-card spot? I don't know if Baker would be good enough to lead the Panthers in the wild-card race. I also don't know how many wins it would require to be a wild-card team in the NFC this year. Maybe we get some sort of 8-9 and nine team or 9-8. and eight. I don't know what to expect out of this uh, conference. But when I look at the NFC South, oh, maybe Baker. I'm not, I'm not big on Jameis Winston, especially now without Sean Payton and Dennis Allen's running the show. He's a defensive coach who didn't work the first time as a head coach. If you bring in Baker Mayfield and Christian McCaffrey's actually healthy this year, and now you have Ben McAdoo running the show who did a good job calling plays in New York originally, maybe you could field the second-best quarterback in the division. And if you do, maybe that's enough to be a top-two team in the division, then maybe that's enough to be in the playoff race and potentially get a wild card. But the NFC South is so bad with quarterbacks, Sam Darnold included, right, that if you try to bring in Baker and maybe things click and now he's healthy and he has that chip on his shoulder and it'll be a contract year and he'll be motivated, and you have Ben McAdoo calling plays, maybe that's a better matchup, and you have Christian McCaffrey in the backfield. I know he played with a lot of talent in, in uh, Cleveland, but McCaffrey would be quite the boost to your backfield as a quarterback. In a bad division, weak conference, right? you could beat the Falcons twice, maybe even beat the Saints twice, a couple of wins there. Maybe that could be enough for the Panthers to try to do something this year. Problem is, as I said earlier, if Deshaun gets a full-year suspension, does Baker no longer become available? Is he taken off the table by Cleveland trying to make things work? If you're a Panthers fan, I do think you pay attention to what's happening here with Deshaun just to see how the other dominoes may fall in all of this. Coming up. Uh, some other th- uh, things we'll probably have to save uh, for tomorrow when it comes to quarterbacks. Which quarterbacks have the most to prove? I think there's tiers to that whole conversation. I did hear a debate on ESPN about which quarterbacks have the most to prove this year. I think I've given you my list already in the offseason, but I do think that there is nuance to that conversation. Different guys have different things to prove. We'll probably have to wait until tomorrow to dive into that. But speaking of quarterbacks, uh, when we come back, maybe we'll look at the quarterbacks of the SEC after a question about Spencer Rattler came into the show yesterday. It's the Mar Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Hey, we usually do a top ten list on, on Tuesdays. We don't really have a ton, top ten list. I'll give you this top ten instead. I saw this. 
I don't know how they came about this. I don't know if this is a poll or what. Ugliest states in the country, based off of the people in the state. Which states in this country produce the ugliest people? Number 10. In fact, hey, you know what? You got the opener? Let's, we'll turn the, I just saw this list. Let's turn this into – we'll do it on the fly. We'll do it live. Tuesday Top 10. Time for the Tuesday Top 10, where we rank anything from quarterbacks to cheeseburgers right here on the Morrow Midday Show. Interested? Who's not interested in this list? The 10 ugliest states based off of the people in the state, not the area. That's like, I don't want to go to that state. There's nothing to see there. That's an ugly state. No, the people that live in the state. Did South Carolina make the top 10 of ugliest states? Let's find out, shall we? Number 10, Wyoming. Wyoming is the 10th ugliest state when it comes to the people of Wyoming. Is it Yellowstone? Is Yellowstone Wyoming? Ah, ooh, good question. Right. Let me uh, let me look at that real quick. Is now, it? is this like attractiveness or just the people in general like being ugly people? No, like attractiveness. Ah, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. Men and women just in general. Again, I don't know how they determine this. I don't know if this is one person's opinion or what or if they did some sort of study to come up with who has the most attractive residence? Yeah, it's in Wyoming, by the way. Yeah, so I guess they don't like their cowboys. Uh, <laughs> Wyoming's number ten, ugliest state. Number nine, and I've been uh, I've been to Wyoming, and uh, yeah, I don't know, I don't know about the people, but the state to me wasn't very impressive. Number nine, Arizona. I've never been to Arizona. Arizona ninth. Ugly. I'll tell you what, though, a lot of people are retiring to Arizona. Maybe that has an impact. Uh, but nine, Arizona for the ugliest states. Mm. Have you been to Arizona before? I've been to Arizona, yeah. I would push back a little bit because whoever made this list probably has never been to Arizona State or Arizona. So uh, you gotta you gotta factor that in. There are some beautiful people around That's there. That's true. Arizona State's like the number one party school. Oh yeah. Number eight, New Mexico. Hmm. I've never been to New Mexico. Number seven, Massachusetts. Hits ah. close to home for me, but not quite home. I tell you what, I mean, they're known as mass holes. So if you want to talk about, like, <laughs> personality or the way they treat people, sure, I could see an ugliness there. And in terms of the actual attractiveness of the people of Massachusetts, eh, I don't know. Maybe, I guess. I could see it, I guess, largely based off of personality. Number six, Kentucky. Hmm. Number five, Illinois. For the ugliest states or the states with the least, most least attractive people. Number four, New Hampshire. Yeah, I get it. New Hampshire. <laughs> And it's like more more uh, farm animals than people. A lot of farmland, New Hampshire. There's nothing in New Hampshire. In fact, Adam Sandler's originally from New Hampshire. That's the one uh, positive thing about New Hampshire. And uh, if you're listening in New Hampshire, and we know you are. Hello, a happy uh, Tuesday. Number three, <laughs> New Jersey. I'm surprised by three. I think New Jersey, number three, I think something that really hurts New Jersey is kind of like the Jersey Shore. Now, on the Jersey Shore, a lot of those people aren't actually from New Jersey. But then it spurned, like, a whole new group of people that wanted to be like those on the Jersey Shore. Absolutely. Yes. That's a whole, that was a whole phase for oh. about 10, 15 years. And there's people that are still holding on to that phase, too. <laughs> so I don't know what you think. Maybe you grew up watching the Jersey Shore and you found those people attractive. I, whatever. Whatever floats your boat. Uh, but uh, I think that really brings down New Jersey is that you got a lot of uh, – I mean – now they call that's what the terms become when you say guido that's usually what you mean the people of the jersey shore so they got a lot of guidos around there running around new jersey number three on the list new jersey by the way especially if you're from the northeast new jersey is the state that everybody always picks on i do like new jersey it's a great state the people are very fun from the state of new jersey um but people always call it the armpit of uh of america new jersey number three for the ugliest state 
Number two, North Dakota. Hmm. Have you ever been to North Dakota? Never been to North Dakota. No, and I, I would like to at some point go see the Dakotas, no doubt about it. But no, I've never – so I, I don't know if I can judge the uh, the folks out there in North Dakota. Yeah, they're number two. Um, Mount Rushmore is what, South Dakota? It's in one of the Dakotas. I think so. Yeah, I think it's South Dakota. All right, so there's nothing uh, – no reason to go to North Dakota. Number one, ugliest states. Would you have any guesses? What would you get? What would you oh, think man. would be the, oh, man, the state tough. with the ugliest people in the country? Oh, this is gonna be this is gonna be difficult. And uh, man, I have one state in mind. Um, man, this is tough because there's a big city there where I know a lot of you know very attractive people, men yeah. and women. Missouri. Oh, fortunately for Missouri, not on the top ten. St. Louis probably helps them out there. Number one, ugliest state. This state apparently produces more non-attractive people than any other state for whatever reason. And I wish I had the criteria for this whole this whole list. Number 1, Arkansas. Ah, okay. Ugliest state. Ugliest state. If you're from Arkansas, I'm sorry. My condolences. <laughs> Ugliest state in the country according to this one study. No love for Arkansas, huh? No, no love. No. Arkansas number 1, North Dakota 2, 3, New Jersey, yada yada yada. So there you go. Ugliest states in the country. At least the states we're from didn't make the list. <laughs> that's yeah, that's true. Cool. I was worried when I was looking at the list. Oh, I hope Connecticut's not on there. A little confidence boost there. Yeah. So um, anyways, there you have it. I only have the top ten. I wish I could tell you all. Fi- like, I-, I wonder where South Carolina would rank. I would love to see the opposite, the ten most attractive states. But I don't know. I only have the top ten. I could tell you South Carolina, North Carolina, not in the top ten. So that's good. Um, I could tell you that South Carolina, this also tells me uh, that South Carolina is the 11th most obese state. Oh, good. 36% of the population is considered obese. Now, I will say this in defense of those that maybe qualify. Obese is a tough standard. Very tough. You go to the doctor, you're like, oh, oh shoot, I'm a technically obese? Like, you don't even realize um, technically what we believe to be obese. So take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. But South Carolina is the 11th most obese state, 36% of the population. The most obese state is uh, Mississippi. Mm. But, hey, good on Mississippi that they did not crack the top ten of ugliest states. I'll tell you what. When I was living there, I put on about ten pounds uh, pretty quick because the food is magnificent. Very uh, I'm good. sure. So there you go. Um, and then uh, now you've come back to South Carolina, and the weight has just <laughs> melted away. <laughs> Hasn't really helped either place. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. A lot of good food around here. So Mississippi, most obese. Arkansas is called the, the ugliest state in the country. Man. There's a feather in your cap if you're from Arkansas. <laughs> like, hey, what's your state known for? We have ugly people. That's what you could say. <laughs> they are called the, aren't they the hogs, right, for a reason, Arkansas? So anyways. Who do you think would be, like, the top, like, with the uh, prettiest people? Would it be California? Probably. Yeah, I would probably have to say California. So I was thinking, as I was going through this list, I was also pondering in my head about Florida. Yeah. I think Florida would be a good one. Florida's a mixed bag. Florida's got a lot of, especially you go to South Florida, right, a lot of beautiful people. Um, but then you also have, you always turn on the news and you see the Florida man or these crazy stories from Florida yeah. and you see some of these mug shots and the people that are just like out in the sun too long and burnt out and <laughs> or even strung out. Uh, so Florida's a little bit of a I'm curious where Florida would be on the list because Florida, especially certain parts of the state, a lot of beautiful people, a lot of money in certain parts of Florida. People that take care of themselves, maybe in some surgery going on in Florida. <laughs> but then you also get the flip side where it's like you walk down the street of certain parts of Florida and it's like, oh, my goodness, where am I? 
Is yeah. this a house of mirrors? So, um, uh, yeah, so Florida, I'm curious to see. I thought maybe they'd crack the top ten, but there's a lot of good-looking people in Florida, too. Thank you. Appreciate that, by the way. Yeah, born in yeah, South Florida. Florida. Appreciate yeah. that. And it's the middle of Florida that gets the bad rap on the news. It's you know, And you live there, so yeah. you know. like yeah. it's, it's a lot of central Florida that's, uh, that's out there. Yeah, well, I could tell you some stories. Let me tell you. <laughs> Jeez. So, yeah. But I am curious. Yeah, California, I think, would be a good, a safe bet for number one. Definitely the safest out of all the states. It's hard to judge. I don't. How do you? I don't know. How do you even come up with like a full a state? There's a lot of people on a state. New York. Uh, I mean, you could. Uh, well, upstate. Yeah, that's true. I lived in Western New York. I, was, <laughs> I spent a year there. There's not much to discuss. Yeah, but you know, New York's New York City, of course, big for modeling. You have actors and actresses. So, of course, uh, same idea, mixed bag, yeah. Then you get towards, like, the upstate, you get out west, uh, maybe <laughs> not as great, I don't know. Texas, I wonder where Texas Ooh, is. Ooh, Texas is a good one. Yeah, Dallas, I mean, Austin, Houston, uh, there's a lot of places where a lot of beautiful people come yes. from. Yes, Texas would be a good one. Now I'm very curious. I'm going to have to yeah. try to find the opposite, the 10 most attractive states. Maybe we'll do that to wrap up your Tuesday next. There's your... Uh, we did it on the fly, Tuesday Top Ten. I, I'll be honest with you, I didn't have a Top Ten list today. We had other things we were going to get to. We have gotten a little derailed throughout the afternoon, but that's fine. And um, we'll get back to some of those topics on the show tomorrow. And instead, I had to make sure I got, got this across, the ten ugliest states. So if you're planning a family trip uh, this summer, maybe avoid some of those states I mentioned. And thank me later. We'll wrap up your Tuesday next. It's the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Wrapping up your Tuesday on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. Yeah, ain't that America breaking down the 10 ugliest states in the country. Hopefully you don't hail from one of those states. But even if you do, you're not what they were thinking of when they made that list. Everybody else that lives in that state, or the majority, I guess. Again, I don't know how you come up with a list like that either, but I always find it intriguing. You know, we love our lists around here on the Morrow Midday Show. That's why we came up with a whole segment for it each and every Tuesday. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch you on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast. And the podcast is also available online at charlestonsportsradio.com. That's the time of year as well. Dan Patrick's show uh, always jokes around about that this time of year, that this is list season. Everybody puts out their different lists. And uh, I know on the Dan Patrick show, right, they'll talk about some lists as well, and they break it down. And it's easy uh, material. Then you have the person who wrote the list on the show. And, oh, why did you put this person ahead of this person? And we do plenty of lists around here, but that's the time of year list season this time of year as we head towards the football season and don't forget you can take the morrow midday show with you wherever you go just simply stream us online at charlestonsportsradio.com or also through your smart speaker through tune in radio or our free app search espn charleston in the app store and through the app you can listen to the show live or on demand from anywhere in the world just search uh charleston espn charleston in the app store on the text line somebody said west virginia should be number one wasn't it West Virginia? Uh, I don't. You ever, you ever been to Morgantown? Uh, I don't, I don't no, know. No, I have not. I've been there yeah, a couple that, times. That was a good, good location. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have been to West Virginia before, but anyways, West Virginia. One, uh, one texture believes West Virginia should be number one. 
If you ever miss anything from the show, catch you on demand, such as the full top ten rankings. West Virginia, they were not in the top ten, right? So, they, uh, according to this source, they did pretty well for themselves. Coming up on the show tomorrow, we'll circle back to quarterback play in the SEC. Plus, talk about Arch Manning winding up at Texas and which of these uh, new coaches in college football can have the most success and also which quarterbacks have the most to prove in the NFL. Plenty more to do on the show tomorrow. In the meantime, catch the show on demand. Live is a series of hellos and goodbyes. For now we say goodbye. We'll say hello again tomorrow at noon. The more Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio.